Can you believe that there are some people in this world that did not tune in to the Alliance Vlog Podcast? Shame on you! Shame on you! My name is Ella Indy and I'm one half of the NWA Women's World Tag Team Champions. And I'm Kimsey Page, the other half of the NWA World Women's Tag Team Champions. And you better go listen to the Alliance Vlog, what is it called? Podcast, period. You're ugly. Are you ready? Power. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! What we've got here is failure to communicate. I'm building an alliance. God bless the internet. Okay, let's party. It's showtime. It's time for the Alliance Guys Podcast with your hosts Kevin Frazier, Jaden, DKM, and Jay Kell. Hey guys, check this out. I am officially now sponsored by Dubby. Dubby is a clean energy drink made to give you focus with no crash. If you guys are like me, you're always needing a burst of energy, especially with one with no crash. Dubby contains vitamins, amino acids, a nootropic, and 150 milligrams of caffeine. It keeps me awake with no jitters, guys. Check it out. Merch link is in the bio. Dubby. Welcome to the Alliance Guys podcast, a presentation of Alliance-Wrestling.com, your number one source for news and information for the National Wrestling Alliance. My name is Jay Cowan. With me, as you can see, is this very handsome gentleman right here, <laughs> none other than Jeremiah Plunkett. He does have the best hairstyle. I mean, he keeps it clean, man. Keeps it clean. Of course, DK right below me. We are the Alliance guys for this evening, and we're here to talk to you about the NWA, and we'll be doing that all night. So uh, get in the chat, get in early, get in often. And I gotta, I'm gonna say it again, Mr. Plunkett. Did you, in fact, listen to this podcast when you were in high school? Is that what you're honestly saying to me right now? So I may have misspoke a little bit. I didn't necessarily listen to the podcast. Okay, but I remember going to the message board. That's just as bad. <laughs> so, right. yeah, hundred percent went to the message board. <laughs> so you got to see uh, uh, Fred and and did Bill. Bill used to post on there from time to time too. He doesn't obviously he doesn't do it anymore, but he used to. Bill Barons used to post on there, and uh, yeah, Dave Marquez, of course, and mm-hmm. Ken Taylor, and uh, I don't think we got very many uh, Tennessee guys. I don't think Mike Porter ever posted on there. I don't think. Porter ever promoted his shows half the time. <laughs> Maybe not. So how you been, man? What's going on? It's been a while since you've been on the podcast, but I'm happy you're here with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm, I'm doing really good. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Just living life, trying to drop some weight, and no, things are going good. And that's We're, we're going to get to that in <laughs> just a minute, but... um. So we that were, might be said about everybody on this podcast. <laughs> I've been Fair. saying that for the last 20 years, and it's up and it's down, and it's up and it's down. Uh, the Obviously, the, the big change that's happened since the last time you were on this podcast is that ill-begotten, at least as far as the NWA is concerned, is, is no more. Now, I, I know you're still close with Alex Taylor, 
I know you're still close with Danny Deals. What what does that mean for you guys in the future? Uh, are you you're basically just no longer a team, no longer a unit? I mean, yeah, Danny Deals on on power or on USA saying he still had papers on you. Yeah, and I don't know quite what the papers are. Maybe it's my rabies vaccination. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know because I didn't I wasn't in there when they made the deal to get Alex that shot. So I don't know what that really means. Uh, I, I, I hope it doesn't mean anything and that me and Alex can still tag for the NWA. I love Alex. He's one of my best friends, same with deals, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, as you guys saw on USA, I've been doing a lot more singles wrestling, which is cool too. Um, but man, I, I miss going out there and being, looking ridiculous with Alex. We, uh, we celebrated that pile driver. Uh, <laughs> to, to win that match, it was a thing of beauty. I'm sure you would have made Scrap Iron Adam Pierce proud. The delivery and then the execution when it came to the pin, a thing of beauty. Is that something that you 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 teach, you coach when you're helping uh, young wrestlers uh, when you're training them? As far as the pile driver, I mean that does come in there at a certain point. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, I've always done that. Like the pile driver has been my thing. God, I think since 09, I say my thing, like I didn't totally rip it from <laughs> Waller or something like that, but you know what I mean? Right. Um, that's, that's my finish of choice, I guess, sure. uh, for, for a long time. And I, I don't know, it, it, it was enough to, when I came to the back, everyone thought brother was like seriously hurt. That's, that's <laughs> great. And it was a, it was a fun match too, man. And that's, that's one of the things. And, and you, you kind of jumped in the chat uh, on the, on the pre-party um, and we were singing your praise because, again, not only are you a friend of the Alliance, you're a guy who's been with the NWA for quite some time. And, you know, the opportunities, uh, I know they're not always there for presented to you for these title matches. But, uh, you know, everyone in the chat was saying how much we would love for you to get a shot at the TV title. And then you threw the curveball, the swerve, if you will, and said you wanted to, to drop down to the junior heavyweight division. Uh, what inspired that? And and. Is that like, were you just messing around or is this for real? You really want to drop down to the junior heavyweight division? Uh, it's a goal for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the TV title. I mean, I've I've held a version of that that beautiful belt myself, and I, I love it. It's, it's one of my favorite titles of all time. Um, I So, like, like I said, I, I've been working on losing weight actually for a while, since the end of COVID. I was nearly 300 pounds. Um, and I thought I was done with wrestling because, you know, wrestling's a uh, – participation with people around sport and we weren't allowed to do that so i'm like oh if this thing's going to be around forever wrestling's dead so my boots were in the closet like i thought it was done and i just happened to be working out i had a buddy who had a ring and i was actually just kind of doing that for cardio because i hate running so i was working out in the ring and i got a text from a excuse me a call from a new jersey area code and i totally hit ignore because i don't know anybody in jersey and Then I got a text number and it was Pat Kenny uh, calling about texting about the NWA. So I was like, well, I guess we got another reason to, to lose weight. Cause I was trying to drop weight just for my health, like being close right. to hundred pounds. I was on blood pressure medicine in my thirties. And I'm just like, I didn't want to do that. So I dropped some. Um, and then after that call text combination, I, I dropped a lot more and I debuted for the NWA around 265. And I'm hanging out in the mid two forties right now. That's great, man. When you wrestled Kojima for the 10 pounds of gold, what were you weighing then? Because you looked in pretty good shape back then, too. Between 250 and 255. 
that's okay. that's where I've I've done most of my I'm gonna put it in quotation marks, but career, but like that's that's where I've been, I guess, my most comfortable. I started straight out of high school, um, right around 225. So that's kind of that's another reason that the junior heavyweight weight limit's a goal for me, because that's my high school weight. Right. Not to get back down there. Um, I also would wrestle at our at our two fifteen. So like football, um, I'd bulk up to about two thirty-five, two forty, and then wrestling season would come and I'd have to like lose all that weight for wrestling season. I was I didn't want to wrestle heavyweight because you know, five nine heavyweight, I'm gonna get crushed by some giant. So so we're very similar in that fashion. I mean, you were probably a better athlete than I was, but uh when I played football, mm. I bulked up <laughs> to about one ninety. And I was right. playing on the on the defense, and then for wrestling, I'd get down to like one sixty five, and oh, wow. they would just slot me in. Like, where do we need a you know where do we need a body? Do one seventy one, one sixty five, one fifty two. So I was all over the place. It, like I would, most days, I'd weigh in wearing all my whole gear because it's like, well, doesn't matter. But then occasionally, you know, they throw me in like the one fifty two, and I had to cut weight all week. I, I remember speaking of cutting weight. I remember specifically. Um, weighing in one morning and I was like 216 and we had a, a meet that night. So I had, I wore my singlet to school. It was my singlet, my shorts. Uh, we had like these nylon track suits and then I'd sweats over all that. And that's all day at school. I'm sure I smelled terrible. Oh, uh, I didn't eat, just drank water, spit, did the old spit weight thing. At least you're drinking water though. Yeah. Uh, minimal, just yeah. enough to not pass out. And then we get to the school that night for weigh-ins. And before weigh-ins, I run around like the coach says, hey, go look for this, knowing that I was just going to run. So I did like laps around the school. I did 200 crunches just to get sweating. Then took all that off, weighed in in a Speedo, made weight barely, but then found out. They do a thing, or at least did. I haven't followed amateur wrestling in a while, where if the people you're wrestling wrestled like the day before, you get a weight variance of like a pound or two. So I didn't have to do any of that. Oh, <laughs> I would have been no. fine. <laughs> I mean, probably not eat a big lunch or something, but I would right. be fine. <laughs> right. Oh, man. That actually brings up a totally unrelated to wrestling question. Do you follow any of the combat sports, MMA, boxing, any of that? So not religiously. I, I watch it if it's on, but I don't. Okay. Well, one of the big controversies in the this those sports is making weight now cutting weight because back in the day it used to weigh in about three hours before the fight yeah and so you that's why it was so strange to have people become champion different divisions because basically you fought at your training weight Mm -hmm. whatever you weighed when you trained that's where you fought and so you know then the heavyweights came and they didn't have a weight limit. And so they, you know, promoters, Don King and some of the others started making, you know, a big show out of the weigh-in. Yeah. So they started having the weigh-in the night before <laughs> and everything like that. And fighters started learning, hey, I can cut weight to make the weigh-in the day before. And then I have a whole day to, you know, drink my Gatorade, eat my pizza, and put some weight back on to where, you know, they've done different things now or in boxing, you know, you can only gain so much. And Yeah, I've heard some of the UFC guys will gain almost like 15, 20 pounds back Dang. overnight almost. It's crazy just because they've got, they dehydrate themselves so much. 
Yeah, and like, well, I in boxing, I haven't seen it recently, but they used to like tell you what they weighed in on weigh-in, mm-hmm. or what they weighed in like the morning of the fight, and among the lighter weight guys, you know, like the welterweights and putting on 10, 15 pounds wasn't uncommon. I yeah. mean, the average was like eight or nine. Right. I, you know, they put on 15 pounds. and I'm, I'm just stunned at the idea that you can put on 15 pounds in 24 hours. Uh, I don't know why. I think sometimes I do it. But. I was about to say, you've never seen me in a beer and pizza night. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you were talking about when you were dropping weight and you didn't have to. I remember I was wrestling at a tournament. Um, it was a, It's one of the bigger tournaments in the area. It's not the big tournament, but it's one of the bigger ones. And uh, it was my first varsity match. And I was riding that line at 152. And I think I was like 153, 154. And we go away in. And, and I, I thought I for sure I'm good. And I step on the scale and it, nope, I'm not cleared. So the coach says, go run, go run, go take a shit, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> so I'm literally, I, I'm in a bathroom trying to squeeze it out with six other guys. Just everyone's there. And then I'm running, running, running and trying to drop weight. And I go and I step on the scale and it's like 153 and a quarter. I was like, oh man, coach says, drop your underwear. I'm like, are you serious? He says, drop your underwear, drop the underwear, cover myself up. And then I was like a pound under. It's like, how does the underwear weigh a pound, dude? Because you ran so much, you sweat it and made it heavy. Maybe that's probably it. (laughs) I I remember the first guy I saw do that in amateur wrestling. And I'm like, whoa, what, what's going on? We're, We're all wearing underwear. What are you doing? Yeah, that, that was pretty common. We we had like we the school one of our rivals. We we had a pretty good wrestling team. Mm-hmm. The other school in our league had a pretty good wrestling team, and we were always sending not just to like the the the, the uh, league tournaments or the the regional tournaments, but we were sending them to state. And we had like five guys on my team go to state, nice. so we, we were pretty solid. Or not on my team, but in our in our league, five guys go to state, and uh, so like these guys were like machines, man. And, and, and I swear to God, I used to joke around with uh, Rocky Romero. I'm like, dude, these guys, I used to wrestle against guys just like you at Santa Fe High School. And he's like, no. And I go, yeah, no, they're just, every one of them looks just like you. The You know, the, the, the same look, the same built, the same size. I'm like, every single guy on that team looked just like Rocky Romero. Dude, uh, I was, like, I wasn't this great wrestler. I was I was about 500. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm real honest about that. I was decent. I was enough to qualify for state. Didn't go super awful far. Um, Two five zero. I, my uh, what was it? But my my biggest thing though. Uh, do you do you guys follow football? You guys big football guys. I know the draft's going on right now. Yeah, but, right. Uh, you've heard of Golden Tate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he went to uh, Pope John Paul, which is one of the uh, private schools around here. Um, and I wrestled him. He uh, he bumped up from I think he wrestled one eighty five normally, and he had bumped up to two fifteen for that day. Uh, because I don't, if I remember right, we didn't have a 185. So he bumped up 215. When I say that that dude, like, I'm glad that guy made it in the NFL because he's freakishly strong. He shot a double and I sprawled. And I mean, we're both on the mat sprawled. And he picked me up from a dead sprawl and double legged me right on my shoulder and about knocked me out. That's, I mean, and I'm, again, I'm 215. So he just dead 215 stands wow. up with me and just double legs me. And, murdered me actually dislocated my shoulder uh and had a trainer pop it back in and i'm you know dumb young and dumb i'll keep going up i think 10 seconds later he had me (laughs) he had me pinned i could have just gave it to him and not got hurt anymore but but yeah man he's yeah but where's the fun in that 
<laughs> right? Pride. My my last wrestling match ever, um, which made me knew that I wasn't going to become a professional wrestler. Uh, I was in a it was the team league tournament um, for our regional area, and we just barely qualified for this. So we were like we were a lot of the guys on the team were broken. I was a little hurt too, and a guy gave me a lateral. He, he just opened up for it, and I I almost never did the lateral like where you toss them. Yeah, but he gave it to me, and I'm like I have to do this. I have to throw him. So he gave it to me. I ate it up and I threw him. I got the near fall and then he just bridged and my back was gone. It was done. And he bridged over. He got like the near fall. I got up. He's up. And the guy just gives it to me again. And I'm like, I know this is not right, but I have to try to, to pin him this way. So I grabbed it, did it again. And then I was done. Like I had nothing left. My back was just done. So that, that ended my career. Yeah, man. It's a, uh... And it's so hard when they just are open for it. And especially if they've been doing it since they're a kid, they'll like, they'll feed you a leg or something and you, sh- you shoot a double. And next thing you know, they've sprawled and gone behind you. And you're like, well, crap. Yeah. This, I, I don't know if he was that qualified or if I was just that naive. I don't know, but, it, but it, it was there. And like, uh, anytime I could take a move like that to, to me, that was one of the bigger moves. You know, I did fireman carry when I got him, I got the double leg when I could get it. But, uh, you know, that was that's basically like a suplex. I was like, I, I have to do this, man. Yeah. I, I was a big head throw guy. If I could get control of your head, I, I'd try to throw you. Like a head and arm? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's a question for you since we're talking all this amateur wrestling now. What parts of amateur wrestling do you feel translate well into pro wrestling? Footwork. I mean, we know it's a totally different ball game. Right. But, I mean, just as a athletic contest what an amateur translates well uh our normal partner Jaden uh sent a clip to me earlier it was a guy that kind of got up did the grab the ankle and rolled the guy up for a what in pro wrestling we would call a small package but mm-hmm. you know the way he did it was very amateur wrestling and look and style but i thought it really looked good and he got the pen off of that and so what do you think because i know you do some coaching and you do some stuff what, what parts of amateur wrestling can translate well into pro wrestling um so to, to me as jake Al said footwork 100 footwork uh you have to have good feet in amateur wrestling you have to have good feet in pro wrestling uh i mean we, we all we've all seen those pro wrestling matches where it's like a whole bunch of happy feet and uh, it just not only that, the sound it makes in the ring is just, <laughs> I don't know, it just makes it, I, I hate when I see happy feet. That's one of my biggest pet peeves when I'm coaching. Um, otherwise, I think chain wrestling. I, I think, as a matter of fact, bringing realism to chain wrestling um, is more, ah, oh, Deals, Deals in the chat. Hey, Deals got a legit background. Deals will stretch you. I see it. Who, who knew that? I thought he was just the goofy guy that made merchandise. We do. Uh, he's a shooter, I mean, huh? He, he's a little bit of a little bit of all, but no, deals deals legit. Um, but yeah, no footwork and, and definitely the chain wrestling to make it realistic. Because if you've been in that exchange in amateur wrestling, granted it's not grabbing arms and stuff, but if you've been in that exchange fighting for position in amateur wrestling, you know what it should feel and look like, so you can translate that over into mat wrestling uh, in, in pro. You know, there's no more of this. You know. Oh, he's got my arm. Ow, let me slap my shoulder nine or ten times. It, it's so unrealistic. 
So the surrealism base of it. Do you feel <clears throat> MMA has caused wrestling to become even more more out there in nature? Because I mean, we see what the quote unquote real fighting looks like, and then we watch pro wrestling. We go, oh, that's not even close. So. Has it had a negative impact, do you think, in that way? And that, and I was like, well, we can't look like that. So let me go flip 17 times. So I, I feel like there's guys who do both, right? Because for, for every, you know, somebody who flips 17 times, you have a Timothy Thatcher who you'll watch that match and be like, that's, that's pretty Thatcher. close to real. I mean, you know what I mean? So uh, it, wrestling can either take from it and, like, try to make it more realistic or you can go the other way, but I think the best is somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that it's done is remember when guys before MMA got really popular would just sit in a cross arm bar for like a minute and a half, like it's a chin lock. Yes. I'm glad that's dead now <laughs> because you, it's obvious that nobody has ever been in a real cross arm bar <laughs> because if you lay there for over what, five seconds, your elbows going the other way. But no, that's a rest hold. Just guys just laying there in a cross arm bar. It's ridiculous. Right, I, right. I used to hate that then because I used to watch the old MMA, like with Tank Abbott and Dan yeah. Severn and stuff like that. So I even knew, like, hey, you don't just lay in this. Like, you know, I saw enough guys' arms just pop to know it, that's not realistic. But I mean, neither's the sleeper three hand drop. That's one <laughs> one thing I wish would change in wrestling. Hook a sleeper, guys out. Hey, raise the hand one time. Done. I think I agree. With you. I have seen them moving that way. And I and I enjoy that. Like I do get that with the crowd, like this is what we've been. Oh, the one finger, the Hogan, the point, the no, I'm not done. Like that's and the people do get behind that. But if you I think if you get them taught the the one drop is it, if you do the one drop and no, I think it could get the same reaction. But wrestling's built on rolls of three anyway. So right. Like, when you mentioned UFC, it brought me back to my uh, – I was right out of high school. I was like 19 or 20. I guess not right out of high school, but pretty close. And uh, I was living with my brother. I was brother. About to say, you're still in high school at 19 and 20? You know what they say about <laughs> uh, They're still in high school. No, I, I'm, I've got this much credit left. Almost um, there. Almost there. Uh, no, we, uh, we had a uh, – I think the statute of limitations is that we had a black box for direct TV. And so I saw like every UFC fight from like 99 to like 2002. And so like, that was amazing. Like, I know that's like bad and it's stealing and it was wrong. Bad Jay, bad Jay. Bad Jay. But I mean, I got to see a lot of pretty cool stuff and it really, it, it kind of shaped my mind too with pro wrestling you know, when you see somebody like Dan Severn walk in there with and he's holding the 10 pounds of gold for crying out yeah. loud. And he and he's out there fighting Tank Abbott and he's making Abbott look like a punk. And at, up until that point, punk or uh, punk, Abbott was a badass. He was like the mo, one of the more feared fighters. And yeah. Severn went in there and made him look like a chump. And I love that so much. If, if I remember right, I saw that fight. Didn't Abbott just quit? Like yeah. there wasn't even a submission. Like he got dumped on his head with like five Germans and was just like, I'm done. Yeah, I, I, I think it was kind right. of a Roberto, Roberto Duran, you know, no mods. Yeah, <laughs> I, I ain't winning this one. 
Well, I saw that one time when uh, it hasn't even been that long, but a guy camped to being punched. I mean, <laughs> you know, basically he was he was down on all fours and was he his opponent wasn't doing it rapidly like you see when the refs stop it, and I think that's yeah. why the ref wasn't stopping it. But he was picking and choosing and ducking them hard with those punches. And just all of a sudden, you see his hand go tap, tap, tap. Wow. You know, they're called. It's like, like, you know, they asked him afterwards. He said, I was tired of getting hit in the head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I bet. I bet. Hey, man, you can give me enough unprotected shots to the face. I'm going to tap at this point. <laughs> I, I've I've never been in an octagon, but I think if someone hit me once or twice, I'm tapping out. I'm done. Like, I don't, don't want to get hit. I'm a grown. I'm an old man. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite wrestlers right now in the world, and I almost hate to admit this because it's like the only thing, about the only thing in this particular product I watch, but I like Walter slash Gunther in WWE. Right. And I remember when he was going to face Sheamus at Clash of the Castle, when they first announced it, I sent something to Jay and Jaden. I said, I go, a match I never knew I wanted to see. Right. But when they announced it, and it lived up to its thing. And and what you'll learn about Jay, Jaden, and I, we like watching big hoss fights. Right. I, mean, we, I like wrestling, too. In fact, in the NWA, one of the people who I feel does the absolute best of mixing pro wrestling and amateur wrestling is BJ Hawks. 100%. I mean, I, I feel he is almost a prodigy at it, considering his age. Yeah. They, he, he makes it. But, you know, we like the big guys, you know. Say it. Go ahead and say it. Big meaty men slapping meat. Go ahead and say it. it. (laughs) Since you said it, I don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We we like it. The big meaty men beating meat, so to speak. Beating meat. Slapping, slapping, beating, whatever. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's like that that one uh, Japanese clip that was going forever, and I can't remember who it was. It, it wasn't Kabashi, but it's just two guys just trading chops for like 10 minutes. Wow. And it's like, normally I wouldn't like this, but I really like this. You know what I mean? For some reason, you just see sweat popping off their chest and everything. I was, I was at one of those New Japan Strong shows, and I got to mm-hmm. see uh, Filthy Tom Lawler versus, um, oh, uh, gosh, what's his name? Um, he wrestled in the NWA for a minute. Uh, he used to wrestle in the WWE. Come on, somebody help me, Fred? Uh, huh? Fred? Yeah, Fred Rosser. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And they they went for a long time. It was the main event, and you could, they were just dropping puddles of sweat, especially Lawler. And each time, uh, Fred hit him like just the sweat like shot off like a Rocky movie. And I was like. This is the most amazing thing I've ever saw. I literally was recording video of it because it just, you could see like the intensity of that fight and the sweat was just flying. It was pretty awesome. And I mean, that was like in the middle of November. It was freezing outside. It wasn't like it was a hot day. Yeah. Those, those boys just worked very, very well. Well, the craziest match, actually, two of the craziest matches I ever saw in person. Look, uh, it probably knows, knows these people involved. And it goes to prove you don't have to be a big giant man to get this way. But uh, Tokyo Monster Gahegas versus Kevin Douglas. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Live in the front row. I saw the purple. I saw the broken blood vessels. Mm. I saw as they broke. (laughs) I mean, you know, 
I mean, think of any, think of uh, uh, Walter versus Dragunov, you know, where they're just beat. Those two guys just smack the tar out of each other. And, and they also wrestled. They could both technically wrestle too. Yeah. Which, what really made the match enjoyable. Same thing with Walter. Walter can wrestle. In fact, he looks like a wrestler, you know. Yeah. And then the other one was Cahagas versus Scott Summers. And I don't know if you ever oh, yeah. heard of Scott Summers or not, but he was mainly. I, just, I never worked with him, but I know the name. Yeah, he, he was primarily here in Texas. I uh, worked with Jerry Lynn. They, they actually were a tag team here. And, okay. uh, but again, two guys, two guys who were known to work stiff. And I always find it interesting because you'll always hear somebody when talking about a guy that's known to work stiff and they'll go, Oh, they tried to work stiff with me and I gave them a couple of back and that put them in their place. And I just look at them and go, I don't believe you <laughs> because I've seen them work with other stiff people. I go, yeah. if you gave them a couple back, they probably smiled. <laughs> and so, uh, now I've seen you have some throwdowns yourself. I, I, I get a little snug every now and then. Um, I love when you're in there with someone who's just beating the crap out of you. I say love is very not, <laughs> but very sarcastic. Uh, they're just like they're really laying it in, and you give them what you think's a hard one back, and they go nice, and you're like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> like, Here's a long night. Drop, drop a name. Who's somebody that you did that with? Uh, gosh, I can't. So, do you guys are you guys familiar with Toby Farley? Yes. Yes. So Toby can go either way. He can be light as a feather or he can beat the crap out of you. He would prefer to beat the crap out of you. And I like tried to lighten him up one time. He goes, yeah, give me another one. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> Just I lighten up, please. One I'm time old. I was I was asking Pierce about uh, who he, who is working somebody in, uh, I think it was in Virginia. And he goes, oh, it was easy. I took It was a night off. And I'm like, night off huh like and it, to me it sounds like the match would be like you know kind of a bad match or something but then you watch it and it's like a, it, it's it's a thing of beauty it's like no it looked pretty legit it looks like you guys are laying into each other it's like yeah well that's the work you know that's that's just us putting in the show but i've seen him lay into dudes too and one guy down in san diego uh this right after he came back from the injury he had like a he had he had a pretty severe like shoulder neck injury and he was coming back and the guy drop kicked him right in like neck mm. And and I don't know if the kid was just stupid or or you know trying to take liberties. I don't know, but Pierce just lit him up in the corner, lit him up. Anyways, um, Yuma actually told me that he had that the experience that I was talking about the slant hitting somebody back and, yeah. and then saying you know oh good with Pierce if I remember oh, yeah. the story right. He said him and Pierce were working. And Pierce is getting. I mean, he gives him a shot back and Pierce is like yeah. And he's like, oh man. <laughs> I'm you a big fan of Adam Pierce, by the way. Like, uh, like I was er early in my career, and what I'd see him on like PW early PWG stuff and stuff like yeah. that. And I was just like, "Who's this guy? Who's not like everybody else?" Right. And he was. Uh, it's funny because um, as being a SoCal guy, and I was there for the genesis of PWG and saw how that all played out. And he was a guy that was from you know they we knew he was from like the Windy City. He's from Chicago. Mm -hmm. He's from Green Bay. Whatever. He wasn't from SoCal. So he already medically came in as an outsider and his first match in was like with Frankie Kazarian and people are like, why is he on so high on the card? And then I'm watching him wrestle. I'm like, Oh, I get it. I get it right away. 
And within a couple of months, he's in PWG. He wins their title. He's in UPW. He wins their title. And people are like, who the hell is this guy? And within within like you know two or three years of him being out in, in SoCal, he's the NWA World Champion. I, I, a lot of people were sleeping on him. And I think, uh, I mean, obviously with his, uh, you know, five reigns as World Champion, four reigns as Champion, he, five? Five. Five reigns as Champion. I mean, he kind of proved his, his worth. But, you know, a lot of people just didn't even know who he was and didn't really give him they didn't put respect on his name and he had to go out there and earn it. Well, I, I really like that he traveled with the belt too. Like I, I not a lot of the world champions in that era or the area era after, because I guess he was technically like the Rubenstein, Fred Rubenstein era, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he was the Bob Trobich yeah. era. So like, yeah, Fred and uh, there was a lot of, you know, he, Pierce worked, pretty much all the territories except for Fred's really like he was in Florida. He was in uh, a lot of Texas, a lot in uh, uh, Virginia and like West Virginia. Um, not a whole lot of Tennessee, but he did. He did, he did Tennessee a couple times. Cause uh, one of the guys, and I won't say his name uh, worked with Pierce and Pierce enjoyed it. Uh, and this is when Pierce was booking for ROH and the yeah. guy was automatically convinced he was getting an ROH contract. That's funny. It was telling everybody who would listen. Oh, that's a mistake. Yeah. But I think he did one dark match for him, and that was it. What about you? Who were some of the people that you liked to wrestle when you were, uh, you, you know, I mean, I mean, you're still are wrestling. Let me rephrase that because it sounds like you're not. You're still very active. But when you were breaking into the NWA, when you're breaking in, 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 the, um, in that Mid-South area, who were some of your favorite opponents? Okay, so we're talking about before pre-Lightning one. Yeah, yeah, pre-lightning um, one NWA stuff. So Drew Haskins, when after we broke up, uh, after they, they broke up the Untouchables, which I still hated that they ever did it. But, I mean, it got me my little singles run, which got me a world title match, so I can't complain too much. But uh, so Haskins was always a lot of fun. That guy, I wish he would have not got out of the business. He was a worker's worker. Um, he was originally trained by Reno Riggins and then went and trained with Tully. And wrestled a lot like Tully, like a lot like Tully. And that dude was so good. Um, he's also part of the reason I've hearing loss in one of my years, but you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, so Drew, I always had good ones. There's a guy around here um, named Eric Andrews. And he and I usually had some pretty good masses. Uh, he was junior heavyweight champion at one point. Um, and then I'm trying to, I think he might've held the national. What was the name? Eric Andrews is spelled with A's, but A R R I C K. The weirdest yeah. way to spell well, I, Eric ever. I don't. I, I think I, he did. I'm gonna look it up now. I know he was a Southern champion in the area. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely held the Southern championship. I, I, I know that. But I um, do, I do remember. I was surprised his run with the junior heavyweight title was so brief. That was near the end of the. That was literally just before the Lightning one. Yeah, I, th I think. If I I don't know the order of events, but I I think Eric may have dropped it to Mister USA, who dropped it to Barrett Brown. Yep. If I if I remember right, um, that's correct. Uh, Mister USA is a fun time to work with. Um, Sean Schultz probably oh, yeah, number sure. one. Oh, yeah, everybody probably number Sean one. Schultz. Sean Schultz. Yeah, everybody knows. You're right. <laughs> ah, there you go, deals. See, deals names yeah. everything. I pulled up and I show uh, just at least via cage match that he was the world junior heavyweight champion 
Um, I don't see that he ever. Oh yeah, there it is. He did hold the national title. They don't list the match. Oh, he he de- he defended against Rob Conway, and he beat Chase Owens in the tournament finals at NWA Saw. So there you go. That was your backyard in the sawmill, right? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of my uh, my home NWA promotion. I, actually, I shouldn't say home NWA promotion. That's kind of the only NWA promotion besides a little bit for Mike Porter uh, that I worked for. It, it was real weird like that. Like when we had the the Southern Tag Titles or stuff like that, I, I thought, you know, maybe some of the other NWA Southern promotions may bring it in. And they, and they never did. So I just work other independents, uh, Drew and I would. And then we would uh, – we had, we had this deal where we'd all we printed out a copy of the like 74 NWA rule book. <laughs> and it'd be one of those deals where like I get thrown over the top rope and Drew gets pinned. Oh wait, I got thrown over the top rope. It's can't titles don't change hands, disqualification, you know, that whole yeah. thing. Nice. You guys are doing the dusty finish. Oh, every every night because we'd go to some random town and because they would bring in the NWA Southern Tag Team Champions. Isn't that a shame though? Like in and that's something I think uh a lot of the fans don't didn't recognize is like man how come these champions don't travel it's like brother you got to get booked to you to, to to travel like you don't just show up yeah if you don't have a booking there's no point in going right uh, you yeah. know and, and kevin told us that yeah there are a couple of promoters that reached out to him when he first won the junior heavyweight title he goes but he basically had to you know bust his tail he, you know we called him the junior heavyweight adam pierce for the year he held the title he literally Wrestled in New Jersey one weekend, Texas in the middle of the week, and California the next weekend. There was a yeah. there was a weekend where he was literally on the the NWA programming in Hollywood and the NWA programming in uh, uh, On Fire, which I guess is like, it was like yeah. So he he was on TV defending the title for two different NWA promotions the same weekend. It was kind of a cool thing because you didn't see yeah. that very often. Yeah, he had that Rick Rude being on two different TVs yeah. at the same time. <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk more about. I mean, we did this before where we kind of did a deep dive into your career, but obviously things have changed a lot quite uh, quite a bit since the Lightning One era. You got that phone call. You got to uh, get back to it when the NWA came back off of the pandemic pause. What did that mean to you as a pro wrestler? Like to get that call from uh, from um, uh, Ken. No, Pat Diamond. Pat Diamond. Pat, Pat, Pat Diamond. Yeah, Pat Diamond. That's I mixed time. up all the names there too. Pat <laughs> that sounds Kenny. like a rotten name. Um, Pat Diamond. Someone take this from me. So being uh, being the, at the at the time, let's see, that was twenty twenty. I'm doing math. That was like fifteen years in, and never had much of a shot, and was ready to hang it up and kind of content with it. Yeah, and then to finally get that call, it meant the world. Because it was one of those, I, I always got told if you stick around long enough and you're solid, you'll get an opportunity. And like, I almost felt like that opportunity hadn't come. And I was like, I guess it's not going to. And then it kind of came at a time when it's least expected, which is what everybody says is going to happen. Right. So stop thinking about it and it will come. Yeah, I've stopped thinking about it plenty of times. It never came. And then when I was totally done, I mean, I'm talking, everything was packed up because I didn't need it. I hadn't used it in a year. Yeah. Then it came. And I'm just fighting to keep it. So the dynamic then, like, obviously you come in and, uh, you know, they, they, they kind of started out you off doing more like enhancement matches, more mm-hmm. like uh, 
you know, kind of like the the uh, gatekeeper stuff where you're, they're putting the younger guys in the ring with you. Um, did you enjoy that process? Did you enjoy that role of just kind of working with some of the younger guys or, or was that a, I guess it's not, nothing's bad because you're getting a paycheck to wrestle, but did you enjoy uh, being that, that type of a wrestler? I, whatever role, like if, if they trust me in a role, I, I'm good with it. Um, a big thing is a number of those guys on the roster, the younger guys, I had a hand in, at some point in training. You know, Matthew Mims, Rush Freeman. Uh, Mims fans. Mims fans. Uh, let's see, Mims, Freeman. Uh, da, da, da. I'm trying to think of people because some, some aren't there all the time and some are. Yeah. Um, but, like, I don't know if you guys remember Devin Graves. Yeah. Okay, so Devin Graves, one of ours. A uh, kid named Mc, uh, Miggs who did some work there. I remember Miggs. Uh, Deontay Marshall. Uh, who he tagged with the Vin uh, actually in the Ill Begotten's debut match as me and Alex. Um, so, I mean, I, there's a handful of guys that like I had a hand in training. So that was cool to work with them. Um, but like I said, I, bro, I've been, what, what's the word? I want to choose my words wisely. I've been working with young guys to get good matches out of them for a while. Yeah. So like I, I'm used to it. Um, and that's fine. Like if that's what they see me as, it's a, it's a position. I've been told a long ago, actually, by this guy right here, Smothers. He told me it's a spot, man, and that's all. You, that's all we need is a spot. If if it makes you feel any better, that's the role that Adam Pierce had in ROH before he won the NWA title. Oh yeah, he was, oh, I'm sure he was the he was the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. and his job was to work with the young fresh baby faces to see if they were ready for the next level or not. And uh, he did a good job in that role, of course. I uh, was able to parlay it in, in the NWA into five world championships. So uh, certainly nothing wrong with any role. If you're, if you're good at it, you'll, you'll get the recognition you deserve. And, and, and uh, on the Indies, I called myself and, and I meant it partially as a shoot, but so, you know, and a lot of people saw it as kind of, either a gag or actually that I was putting myself down, but I called myself wrestling's last journeyman. And like, that's what a journeyman wrestler was. Yeah. You know, he was never top of the card, uh, but he went around, he was worked everywhere and he worked with everybody. So I'm all right with that. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe I romanticize that a bit too much, but I love guys like George South and Mike Jackson. And I love watching him now. That's two guys I want to wrestle, to be honest, (laughs) George South and Mike Jackson. Uh, I looked at, at Crazy Steve at WrestleCade. It was, it was uh, George South against Muda. And George cuts a 20-minute promo about taking his jacket off and then wrestles Muda for 10 minutes, puts him over, and gets the loudest reaction of the night. And I looked at Steve, and I go, if I'm still wrestling by his age, that's going to be me. And Steve looked at me, which is funny because he's legally blind, and goes, uh, I can see it. <laughs> to which my response was, no, you can't. <laughs> and, then we, and then we laughed and went and hung out. But – I mean, I don't know. I romanticize that. I've always been somebody who romanticizes weird things in wrestling. And the journeyman guys is one of them. You know, the wearing Zubaz and fanny packs and stringer <laughs> tees. Like, I don't do it as much anymore because I try to look like a professional. But for years, man, that was my my look everywhere. You know, I just looking like a bum, but, <laughs> but a colorful bum. Right. If... If we can take a second 
since we're talking about working with the younger guys and everything like that, uh, a lot of veterans have who've worked in some of the bigger companies, one in particularly new big company, have complained, and Jim Cornette's complained about this also, even in uh, on the indie scene, stuff like that, that locker rooms are quiet. Everybody's on their phone. Nobody's listening to what the veterans have to say. Uh, Poyo Delmar, wonderful friend of the show, Dora, uh, has said that when she was on, said, boy, the NWA locker room is just great. Everybody wants to interact and everybody wants to learn. So let's get your viewpoint on that. Is is Are the young people open to listening in the NWA? Are, are they listening to the veterans? Are they working with them? Uh, for the most part, I'd say, yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy the locker room. So there's no... What's the word? Well, I, I guess we'll, we'll use the word everybody uses. There's no clicks. Everybody legitimately helps everybody. Um, if we're in a venue that has a setup to have a monitor in the back, if that thing's packed w- with veterans and young guys alike watching everything. Um, trying to think. Uh, like some of the people who, who've come up to me and helped me the most uh, from the get-go. Uh, Trevor has been awesome with me. Actually, funny story about Trevor. Uh, Trevor had just got released from WWE. Uh, maybe not just, but had been released by WWE. He was, I saw him on Facebook. I was a big fan of Caden Murdoch, huge fan. Uh, and I had sent him a message on Facebook. And I said, hey, man, as a fellow big guy, what's some tips you can give me? And he never responded, and I didn't really expect him to anyway, so it was fine. So when I started there, I introduced myself. And he goes, I know who you are. You sent me an email years ago. Wow. And I go, what? (laughs) And he goes, yeah. And I didn't know how to respond to you. So I just didn't respond. He goes, I'm sorry about that. He goes, never blow up. That's my, that's my advice. (laughs) And I was like, hope that. So that meant the world to me, but like Trevor's always been really cool. Tyrus has been really cool. Uh, I would say like guys like Tom and stuff like that, but you know, we're personal friends outside of this, you know what I mean? I knew them prior. So, but Tom's really cool. All the guys that, I've dealt with. No one has been not cool. I love the locker room, man. I, I really do. And there's times when it's quiet because those are long days. Oh, sure. 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 But obviously you guys know some of the guys I hang around with. So we're a lot of times laughing and joking a lot. So it's very rare for us to be quiet, but we get there, even get there too. Cause like I said, long days. But, Any pranks going on back there? <sighs> I'm not talking about mean ones like back in the day, but yeah, I'm, tr- no, I'm, no I'm shitting in gym bags. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely no, no fecal related, uh, <laughs> fecal related ribs. I'm trying to think of any. Uh, I don't know if I'd call this a prank, but I remember one of my first times down there, and this before Rush was even wrestling on the show. I'm sitting there like in shorts and a tank top, about to get dressed, having a conversation with somebody. He just, like, snaps a picture and posts it on social media that I find, like, three hours later. I'm like, that's... He's like, I thought it was funny. I'm like, that's weird, man. <laughs> Stalker. <laughs> I was like, if you took this ten minutes later, I would have been in my underwear. Like, what are you doing? Um, 
I can't think of really any ribs. I mean, we have a lot of jokes that we come up to. Like when G's got clotheslined by Jax, we still talk to this day say that G's is dead. And anytime he's around and he'll say something, we'll be like, man, it sounds like G's is talking to us. <laughs> what about, uh, what were your thoughts on, uh, uh, what was his name? Beast mode? Man Beast? What was that guy's name? Uh, he didn't talk or come up to not a lot of people. Uh, so I never met the guy. Uh, wait. So, and, and I already know the answer to this, but for those who don't know or who are watching along, isn't it the job of the new guy to come in and shake everybody's hand and introduce themselves? Isn't that like kind of locker room etiquette 101? I mean, usually, and he may have done it to some people. It's, I, so he was there on the night of the pay-per-view. I, no, he was there the next night, next day too. Um yeah, I don't know. I, God, I don't. I don't think I. I may have said hi to him the second day, but like I said, I didn't wrestle at the pay per view when he was when he first showed up. Yeah. So I was just walking around street clothes. So he may have just thought I was just some guy. I don't. I don't know. So just, just for the reason why that I know about this is I have been lucky enough to be backstage in the locker room area sometimes for uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood, mm-hmm. and early, early, early on in his career. Um, Willie Mack, who at the time didn't really know me from anyone else, came up, shook my hand, introduced himself to everybody. And I mean, even my my wife and my my daughter, who's now 18 years old, who was like six years old at the time, walked up. Hi, Willie Mack. It literally did. You're the, getting you know, old. I know. I just said I'm an old man over here. Getting old. I'm not getting. Am old. Um, real quick, Mr. Deal says Krim uh, <laughs> ribbed you with those dress shoes. All right, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell this one. So uh, back the curtain a little bit. I think it was the December 2019 pay per view. Uh, whatever uh, the main event was, Nick Aldis and James Storm. That's what that's what I remember. Okay. Um, I Crim uh, Crimson got me backstage to do some production stuff. Um, and you know, normally the the dress is like black pants, black tennis shoes, black polo, right? Well, he wanted me to stand out, so he goes suit. So I mean, I bring out. Dress shoes, you know, I'm rock, walking around it as Deal says, and we'll say in penny loafers and the whole thing. And Deal sees me and he goes, What are you wearing? <laughs> and I'm like, This is what I sold to wear. And he goes, Bro, your feet are going to be on fire. Yep. And I was like, No, because I went and got those dress shoes that are kind of sneakerish, you know what I mean? Sure, so I'm sure. like, Nah, they'll be fine. Next day, I was wearing a suit and slip on tennis shoes. <laughs> <laughs> And he goes, told you. But I mean, how long, how long Deals has worked Danny, in. I'm sorry. Oh, go sorry. Go ahead. I was just say, Deals has worked in production and uh, I mean, in everything in wrestling. So he knows, like, long days. Nah, man, you can't be wearing those all day. No. You show up in those and change. You know what I mean? Like, but you're, you're going to say, how long have me and Deals known each other? Yeah, time? how long have you and Deals been buds? Oh, gosh. Um, so I know summer or I know oh oh nine I, wow. I believe, but I don't know if that's even. I don't think that's when we first. That was not when we first met though. We met before that. I, I know the first time I like went on the road with them was like either oh nine or ten, and we kind of all bonded over that as me, him, Sean Schultz, and Crimson uh, on a trip to Illinois, and it just went crazy. Actually, I don't know if they're still on on YouTube, but we like we did early road vlogs, but they're. About half worked or, or came up from conversations we had. 
like there was a 10 minute conversation about if at a KFC buffet, if we had to put our dishes away or if they came and took them off the table. <laughs> and so we ended up doing a like worked variation of that and stuff like that. Or like me and uh, me and Crimson really like journey and I was driving. So we we're listening to journey and Schultz and, and deals could give a crap less. So they're in the background, like, yay, as we're in the front, just rocking out journey. <laughs> Don't stop believing. And they're like plugging their ears. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Are you doing carpool karaoke that day? We may have some. Uh, I know. I know. Definitely, when I go to like indie shots with some of my buddies, we definitely do some car carpool karaoke on late nights. These. Oh yeah. These is feeding us stories, man. I, I feel like these should be. A <laughs> Maybe he needs a producer credit on the show for tonight. Yeah, we, we did fight through the crowd last night. I think that's why we uh, we bonded. So hey, let's. You know, take this opportunity here. Uh, we've decided we love Danny Deals on on commentary, as he should, and and so we're we're ready for him to you know become an official member of the commentary team. He's he's been awesome on that. I, I'm gonna say this, and 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 Danny's in the in the in the chat, and I was never the biggest Danny Deals guy, and like, I, I'm sure the the merchandise was cool. I dig the merchandise. But the, all that was lost on me. But him in the promo, uh, in the in, not in the promos, but in the announce booth, like he's obviously knows what the hell he's talking about. He's got some natural charisma. He connects with those guys, Joe and Tim. I'm like, man, like, and and I was all about the Ill Begotten Boys because it started off with my guy Yuma. Um, I I enjoyed you guys, but uh, I, I really think that's where he is best suited for the NWAs in that. And that uh, commentary booth, man, I just think he kills it. He does such a great job. I, I've I've said, hey, you know, uh, if if you wanted to shape up the different television shows, maybe Deals and and and, and Tim could do, you know, USA. They'll have Joe and Velvet do Power and break it up. Sorry, I'm just pitching ideas to you. Buddy. Oh no. Um, so as far as Deals being good on commentary, yeah. I mean, he's he's one of the best, and I tell everybody this. Um, he's one of the best storytellers you'll ever you'll ever get. Uh, anytime we're in the car together, man, we did a a trip to some know nothing town in Indiana that the show drew three three people, and like so we're yeah, dude, I'm not kidding. And they still ran. Like I was like, oh, this show's going to cancel. Nope, I have to go wrestle. Uh, journey and that. Paycheck. Yeah, that drive was like four or five hours, and it felt like it went one and a half. Because Deals just had me laughing, and he's telling stories, and he's just he's he's a natural storyteller. So him on commentary, yeah, it made perfect sense to me. And I've been listening and watching since they put him on commentary, and it's great. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful. And you know, we'll talk about the show a bit later but uh, you know i thought they had a pretty good week between both usa and power this week absolutely and um you know and if there's one thing we're known for it's for being brutally honest so so when we say we like something and something's good you don't have to wonder <laughs> wonder if well, i have just saying that no we, we it was a beautiful week and you, I was, you're not the bright beacon of positivity everyone says you are. Oh, I'm a, I, you know, my favorite person, my favorite person there, uh, boy, 
you know, calls me Mr. Grumpy Cat or something like that. <laughs> and, and, and look, I openly admit to being a grumpy old man. And I openly admit to thinking the 80s is, you know, early 80s more than anything. You know, late 70s and early 80s was a golden age for me because that's when I started watching. And and everything. And it's just like, ah, that's, that's my thing. So, you know, I recently heard the analogy where I... Um about star wars and it kind of relates to wrestling too it's like you know those first three movies that came out were for that specific audience and those you know they were mostly kids at the time and we grew up with those movies and then you know many many years later a second uh trilogy comes out and all of us that grew up with the first one said well this one's not as good uh it's kind of dumb they got you know weird characters jar jar binks ah you know but but then, but then, you know, several years later, another trilogy comes out, and now people are like, "Hey, I hate this. This isn't what I grew up with." Well, no shit, it's not meant for you. It's meant for the new generation, just like the one that we passed, like that I passed on in the in the late '90s. That wasn't meant for me. That was meant for the kids of that generation. And and the next trilogy that comes out won't be for for you know my daughter. It'll be for my younger daughters, the the that generation. And I just. Uh, the same thing could be applied to almost every entertainment aspect, but especially pro wrestling, you know, um, DK grew up in the, with the late seventies, early eighties, uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, the Von Ericks and, and the Freebirds. you know, I grew up with, uh, watching Saturday nights on, on TBS, you know, and, and we all kind of gravitate to the, like that to us is what pro wrestling is, but you know, pro wrestling is whatever they the, the, whatever the promoter wants it to be and it's you know whoever they're trying to appeal to is is their audience just because i'm you know still watching the nwa or occasionally i'll tune into wwe that show's not for me anymore it's not it's not designed for me it's designed for the younger audience and i think it's like the realization of knowing that kind of like oh i aged out of the product but i'm still into the product yeah it's, it, i mean that's a real thing sorry I, I, i've heard that star wars analogy before um and and i really like it and i I do think that it does point to it i I will say two things on that one jar jar Binks still sucks i don't care what generation (laughs) it was um and and two i don't know man the new trilogy is supposed to be headed by uh dave filoni and uh yeah and uh oh gosh yeah john favreau so i think it might be made for us i look just saying saying, the mandalorian made me feel the way I did when I watched Return of the Jedi. And and like to me like I'm excited. Now I look, I also will say that it very much reminds me of watching Kevin Sor- uh yeah, Kevin Sorbo playing Hercules, you know, uh some 20 years ago. It reminds me of that, but it's also at the same time it's entertaining to me. So I love it. I'm going to keep watching it. But Dude, uh, I'm a giant Sam Raimi fan, so Kevin Sorbo Hercules was right up my right up my alley, man. Hey, do you know how to find the Star Wars toys? Like the OG ones? No, just like in a store. Do you know how to find Star Wars? Oh, this is a joke. No. no. How? Uh, Look for all the 50-year-old men. (laughs) That's true. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I thought you like collected toys. and I. (laughs) Look at the the aisle with the 50-year-old men and you'll find the Star Wars (laughs) toys. Right. I'm I'm a 45-year-old man and I was very proud to buy this at uh, Target. (laughs) So I, I get it, man. That toy aisle, I, I I frequent it all the time. See, I, well, I never I, got big into the toys. I have like two toys, and it's just like I have this little old Hogan Hasbro, which, by the way, 
Hasbro better than LJN. LJNs are just a big stick, a big pile of rubber. Don't care what anyone says. And then like somebody and gave me this and I'm like, well, I got to keep it. Someone gave it to me and it's Randy Savage. It's kind of cool. So <laughs> I recently picked this up this weekend because uh, he's a former NWA world champion, but that's, that's Sabu from the uh, pint size all-stars. I have a Harley race one as well. And I had to get Tommy rich because Georgia just wouldn't have been the same without Tommy rich. Oh baby. Tommy rich. I love Tommy. Tommy is so wild and such a cool guy. I would love for him to come back and do more with the NWA. I thought he was a uh, he he was such a spitfire for the territory, and I know those days are long gone. Um, but still, I think he has he still has that charisma. He still has that energy. Um, I wish he would come back and, and do a little bit more with the NWA, not unlike what they have uh, Bobby Fulton doing, or you know, uh, of course uh, Ricky Morton, or you know any you know they've had so many classics come through, and I I do appreciate that. I I wish they did more of that. Yeah, I, dude, I love Tommy to death. I would love for Tommy to be there a lot, just to hear his like raspy voice <laughs> on every promo. Somebody say something about fired up. <laughs> you know, I just need it. The funny thing is, I've listened to shoot interviews over the years with Tommy Rich, and sometimes it was almost like when he's not in character, so to speak, it's almost like difficult to listen to him, you know. <laughs> but and I was a little bit worried when they go, "Oh, well, he's coming to the." whichever NWA show he was at. And I was sitting there and listening to him. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm transported back to 1981. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, ah, someone get him the national title now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you're on notice, Sion. Here he comes. Oh, man, Tommy, Tommy, dude, Tom, people don't realize what how big of a... <laughs> That's true. That happened too. Uh, Tommy, <laughs> people don't realize how big of a star Tommy was. Like Tommy was a Hulk Hogan of his day. Yeah, he really was, man. God, and the wars what? he would go through, and the buckets he would bleed. I'm not asking you to answer for anything, but why do you think that momentum stopped? And and like by the uh, you know late '80s, early '90s, he wasn't really leveraged in that position anymore. I, I don't know. Um, I know he went back to Memphis for a bit. I know his, he he was never a body guy. Like, don't don't get me wrong. Tommy Rich was never a body guy, sure. even in his in, in his like babyface early babyface run. But I, I think the body may have held him back some. And I mean, Tommy will uh, will tell somebody off real quick. <laughs> so I'm sure he may have done that. <laughs> Well, I like because I remember like uh, I was watching WCW NWA in the early '90s, and I remember when they brought in the York Foundation and mm. they, Richard Morton and Thomas Rich and all that. And it was like, I know these guys were baby faces in the '80s. Why? Why are we going this hill route now? It, even as a as a youngster, I was like, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, well, Tommy had done a lot of heel work be- since then, though. Okay. If you go and watch some Memphis, the Bill and Buddy show. Oh, sorry, no, that's Buddy Landell. Um, but no, when he came in and worked heel in Memphis, bro, like him and uh, him and Austin Idol cutting Lawler's hair and stuff like that. He was. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Tommy was in Fuego. What's that? Sorry, he's the one that waited in the ring for during a cage match or something. Yeah, that's that's when they cut Lawler's hair. He was literally under the ring the entire night. This was before yeah. trap doors and everything. He had they had to go put him under the ring before they let the crowd in. Yeah, from from the stories I've been told, with uh, beer, 
chicken and a bucket. Yep. Yeah, man. Use your imagination on the bucket. <laughs> it wasn't a KFC bucket. Yeah, no. I mean, he had that too. That's what the chicken was in. But. <laughs> so, but, so it, the, he had to empty the bucket out. Is what you're saying? Yeah, he, he had been a heel. He started as a face in Georgia. He went to mm-hmm. Tennessee as a heel, and then after something happened with his mama, he turned face in Tennessee and then went back to Georgia, which is where by this time is when Georgia championship wrestling was taking off on TBS, WTBS, as it was at the time. And, you know, that's when he became that big star. That's, that's how he got that four day reign as champion because it was like they had to do something for him because he was too big to contain. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, let's give him the title for, Let's give him title for a week, and then, you know, and then you start billing him, which they were very good at doing in Georgia. When he didn't hold the title, they billed him as a former world heavyweight champion. You know, so like he was, he was either the national champion or he was the former world heavyweight champion, and everything. But you know, like a lot of guys, he had some personal demons that got in his way, and then, you know, Jim Cornette talks about it. You know, they're there comes a point when you're a young, fresh baby face, where the term comes from, as I understand it. And then you start to age into it. And they don't always know what to do with you at that point. And I think sometimes that, and then, you know, he gained weight, got a little bit heavy, had some, had some habits that probably shouldn't have had. And, uh, you know, all that weighs on you. But I think another person, if you go back and you look at their career, uh, you know, like a lot of people talk about Terry Taylor and how he was ruined by being the Red Rooster. Red Rooster. But for me, when uh, uh, UWF, Bill, I don't remember if it was Bill Watts still in charge or if it had already been sold. But when he turned heel, it's like he never really regained the spot he was in. I think think a lot of people thought, oh, this could be a top guy. And he even held the North American title briefly as a face and everything. But after they turned him heel, he kind of became that chicken shit heel. And it's like he he never really recovered from that, if I can use that phrase, you know. I don't know why. He definitely never had the same notoriety. He, He never got to the same spot on the card again. Right. I mean, you know, the biggest thing after that was feuding with Nikita Koloff. And then once that happened, once that was over, you yeah. know, he lost, that was over. And then before you knew it, he was a rooster in WWF. Pay, pay me to be any kind of bird you want, brother. I was going to say, like, <laughs> you know, say what you will, but that payday is a payday. Let me ask you something real quick. Um because we're talking about the ill-begotten boys. Uh, Mr. Deals is kind enough to join us in the chat here. Um, and he, he's brought it up a couple of times. Is it a little bit ironic that it was, it started off as Yuma and Freeman, and then you came in and kicked both of those guys out eventually. I mean, okay. So we talked about football tonight's draft night. I'm a green Bay Packers guy. 
Intentionally? Okay. Huh? <laughs> Intentionally? Uh, my, my mom's from uh, Wisconsin, so I was raised a Packers oh. fan. Okay, I and, thought maybe uh, you'd been punished or something. <laughs> well, I feel like I'm being punished right now. But so we have Aaron Rodgers. Had. Well, he can't be there forever. <laughs> yes, exactly. Had. So now Aaron's gone. We replace him with somebody who's hopefully as good or better. And that's all we did with the old we gotten. Just looking for somebody as good or as good or better. Yeah. And I mean, as far as Yuma, Yuma's extremely talented. But Yuma also won't do what needs to be done to win. He's a Boy Scout. We, we didn't have room for Boy Scouts. No, we, we, we shouldn't have Boy Scouts and wrestling. And I mean. I wonder what ever happened to him. I, yeah. Probably flew yeah. away on a planet somewhere. I, I guess. He kind of got beat up and then just mysteriously disappeared, never to be seen again. That's interesting how things like that happen sometimes. I mean, Alex Taylor drops you on your head, well, sends you out of right. territory. You know, Alex Taylor had a good match with uh, uh, Kerry Morton. Oh, they tore it up. That, that was right. a good yeah, match. They battle. tore it up. That's probably the most I've liked Kerry Morton since. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man, no, I really like Kerry Morton right now. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Oh, I'm sure you're Kerry Morton's biggest fan at the moment. <laughs> just so, a tad. Just, although I will say the heel persona and uh, this is going to go somewhere here in a second. I do feel like the heel persona fits him better. I mean, I I do think him being kind of that snot-nosed punk uh, heel that we're seeing in Australia is, a, is, is definitely a fit for him. And I, I, I like that personality. And so, I've known Kerry since he was like 10 years old. That's always been in him. So two years ago? <laughs> yeah. So, but God, I wish. No, it's, it's been longer than that. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this since you're here. Uh, one of the issues I have in the current NWA is I don't know who to cheer for and I don't know who to boo. And we'll talk a little bit about that during power. And it's like, you know, we talked about Tommy Rich when Tommy Rich was on fire. And we talked about Hulk Hogan when Hulk Hogan was on fire. And, you know, Jay mentioned the Freebirds and the Von Erics. And one of the things that made all these big deals was the emotional investment. Trust me, living in Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, you loved the Von Erics. You hated the Freebirds of you know, the Von Erichs once made the mistake of going to uh, Six Flags over Texas. They got found out they had to shut the park down because they had based and highways because so many people were heading that direction. The epitome of the quote unquote rock star. Yeah. You know, but like I said, one of the things was you were invested. You loved Tommy Rich. You wanted to see Tommy Rich beat Ric Flair and become the world champion or Harley Race before Flair. Uh, you wanted to watch the Von Erics kick the snot out of the Freebirds and win the world title all at the same time, you know. And, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan, well, he was Hulk Hogan. It didn't matter who he was wrestling. <laughs> you, you know, you wanted to see him. And so I, I look at some of the clips from Australia, and I've, I've seen the matches from Mexico in which – the NWA is very definitely playing the heel 
characteristics up, which makes sense. You're in a foreign country. You're the foreigners. You want your local guys to be cheering the, you want your local crowd to be cheering the local guys. You're going to do that. It's, it's very smart. It's a smart move. But then when I watch on the shows or the pay-per-views or sometimes, I mean, I get lost. I don't know if I'm supposed to cheer for Otis in this week or boo Otis in this week and who's he in the ring with and, <laughs> and everything. And you'll see a lot of people, Cody Rhodes even made this statement one time, which I find interesting since he's currently one of the biggest faces going. But, you know, ah, heel face, that's an old trope. It's not necessary in modern wrestling. Uh, I kind of feel it is. I, I, Jim Ross once said, wrestling's not difficult. I need, I need someone to cheer for, someone to boo, and a reason for them to be fighting. I, so, I agree. I agree with that personally. I do think there's room for tweeners. I mean, Smuzz was a big one. Smuzz will always be like, I'm a tweener, baby. What can I say? But with the evolution of, because it used to be, now I'll, I'll make this argument. It used to be, you came out of one door, you're a baby face regardless. If you came out of another door, you're a heel regardless. It ain't like that. It hadn't been like that since the mid eighties. There's always been this section of heel fans. Sure. So they're going to cheer who they want to cheer anyway. So I guess at some point you just kind of got to cheer for who you want. I'll say this. I can say this as far as who to cheer for in the NWA. Just cheer for me. It's fine. That'll work. And we do. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Regardless of what I'm doing in there, whether you agree with it or not, just cheer. Well, I mean, and, well, I think we've seen that with Camille, you know, to give an example of it. I mean, I think. You know, Camille was presented as a heel. Uh, and fans, she got over and fans started cheering her. And even she made the, if you're talking, I can't hear you, Jay. They refused to boo Camille. That's the thing. They just, they flat out refused. Well, I, and it was funny because she even brought it up during one time when her and Tom Latimer were out there. She's out there talking about her and they cheer her. And Tom Latimer comes out and they boo. This was before uh, Latimer's most recent run. And she's like, you're cheering for me and booing for him. And the fans were basically like, yeah, deal with it. <laughs> you know, you're a face, whether you want to be or whether the promotion wants you to be or not. You are. We love you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, you know, eventually the NWA powers that be, you know, grabbed onto that. And, you know, we, of course, here are huge Camille fans. We make no secret that at uh, last year's, was it 74? You know, she had, you know, two matches in two nights. And both nights, they were match of the night. And yeah. even Billy Corgan acknowledged it. And, you know, you know, we, we like to give props out to the female wrestlers and, uh, Jazz and Medusa behind the scenes who we know uh, work with them, or at least we knew we're working with them. I assume they still are. And uh, and everything. And so you had in Camille somebody, it didn't really matter. She was going to be a face. It didn't matter how she wrestled in the ring. It didn't matter what she said on the things. The fans loved her. She's going to be a face. And the moment came where it was a, a face. Uh, Can I interrupt you for one second? Sure. So I... You know, I, I've been hanging around with the NWA for a while. I was very excited when Allison Kay 
beat Santana Garrett to become the NWA Women's Champion, I thought, wow, they nailed it with this new champion. She's going to be great. No one's going to supersede her. She's like a female Steve Austin. She's going to be a badass. And she's going to be awesome. And then they brought in Thunder Rosa. And, and as much as I loved Allison Kay, Thunder Rosa was the right person to take the belt off of her. She, she blew up. And as Thunder Rosa was still doing her thing, you had Camille just kind of waiting in the wings and kind of, wow, she's really good. Wow, she's she's looks like she's unbeatable. And next thing you know, she is unbeatable. She's held the title for some 600-plus days now. I think she's getting closer to 700. Um, so, you know, just to bring up to the point, like face or heel, you know, Thunder Rosa was the heel when she joined the company. She left as a baby face. Allison Kay was a heel when she joined the company. She left as a baby face. Same thing with Camille. She's a heel now. She's a baby face. Uh, to Jeremiah's point, I, I think, honestly, um, yes, we prefer to have those set, you know, white hats and black hats so we can tell who the good and bad guys are. But, uh, you know, you will cheer for who you want to cheer. I still cheer for Jeremiah Plunkett, whether he's a heel or a face. I still cheer for uh, uh, Jack, whether he's a heel or a face. And I'm, that's how it's always going to be for me, you know. I was even cheering for you, but when, it, when, when you know, Jeremiah Plunkett was beating his ass at the uh, Crockett Cup last year. You know, I was still cheering for Yuma until you ran him out of town. We don't even see Yuma anymore. Thanks a lot, Jamie. Yeah, we talked about that when you disappeared in Stereo. Yeah, no, uh, Yuma was was there the next night. Alex ran him out of town. Fair enough. I just punched him in his face and sent him packing. But you can only get punched in the face so many times before you take off. <laughs> that Well, see, he's, he's a spaceman. He's supposed to take off. Well, you know... Um, it, one of the things that I was always kind of confused about is why didn't him and Rush start a tag team after you kicked Rush out? That would have made logical sense to me. They could have been the ill, ill-begotten. Be- or just who, begotten. Who would want to tag with Rush? <laughs> we we well, have an, funny you would ask. <laughs> we have an ongoing joke on this show uh, where we put down a, a particular wrestler in the New Jersey area, Dave Dahl, Daredevil Dave, Dave Dahl. And, uh, the, even the even the promotion itself says, "Hey, we have all these great wrestlers and Dave Dahl." And I feel like you guys do that to Rush Freeman because it's like, "Hey, come check out the stars of the NWA and Rush Freeman." As bad as we might be, I think the fixers are even worse on him. Oh, Every social sure. media post he puts, Freeman sucks. <laughs> Poor guy. Fixers don't rule anymore. <laughs> Boy, uh, talking about a difference in a year. You know they and, and talk about the the varying shades of gray. They went from super heels and got over, then they became faces, and the fans turned on them, and now they're heel again. Yeah, and they were a favorite of some people to win the Crockett Cup last I, year. Look, look, people, because people who had no touch with reality since the Briscoes were in the tournament, <laughs> <laughs> they were the favorite of some people last year, hey. and in. You know, we'll talk about a bit. they're eliminated, aren't they? Plunkett, I'm feeling attacked here. I think you're getting attacked. Jesus. Not me. Remember I'm the rush treatment of this podcast. <laughs> I'm friendly oh, to everybody, remember? <laughs> so, okay, so what were we talking about before I interrupted to, to talk about the women's wrestlers? Sorry. Oh, no. it, it, it was the heel baby face. Um, and I mean, I wanted that you, you kept saying that they came in as heel and left as baby face. Yeah. I think if you're good at at what you do, eventually the fans are going to respect you no matter what. And that's nowadays. Now, back back in the day, you know, you'd boo Dick Murdoch the whole time. 
you know, you didn't look at it like, wow, this guy's really good at what he does in the ring. Now they do because now it's out in the open of what it is. So they can respect what you do. They can see if you're good at it and they're going to cheer you. And I think to a certain extent, what your personality is in general will help the fan. I mean, look, Roman Reigns as a face was hated. <laughs> um, you know, there were people that cheered for him because he was the face, but he wasn't overly well liked. He wasn't overly popular. I mean, I saw him wrestle Triple H for the WWE title AT&T Stadium. And, uh, you know, the people I was around, none of them wanted him to win. And, uh, and he did anyway. But he came back as a heel after being out during the COVID crisis. He came back as a heel, and he's never been more popular. People like him as a heel. He's supposed to be a heel. That's, yeah. where, they, that's where they want him. Well, and, and it goes back to kind of what I said about Yuma, too. Nobody likes a Boy Scout. Yeah. Not in this day and age. Yeah, that's true. I used to be I a mean, Boy Scout. Nobody likes the, there's one. <laughs> there's one person who gets away with that, and that's Ricky Morton. He's the only person nowadays who gets away with being, you know, kissing kissing babies and hugging women or vice versa. Well, you, you guys, I think I walked in when you guys were talking about um, Carrie Morton and and – and the transformation that we've seen from him, um, it's 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 awesome to me. Because, um, uh, you know, I was there in Mexico, and I'm used to seeing him as that baby face that, you know, the modern-day Ricky Morton is. Like, that's what I thought Kerry Morton was supposed to be. And he's in there, and he's he's drinking, and he's waving his shirt around, and I'm, I'm talking to him like, hey, man, this is, you know, it's pretty cool, right? And he goes, oh, yeah, this is great, and he's – He's telling me how much he had to drink. And, and like, I, this isn't a gimmick. He would literally was having a good time. And I'm like, all right. I did like, look, I don't even know you. I thought you were like a kid. I didn't even know you could drink. And, uh, and he was <laughs> well, having a great time. Well, you know, Mexico, they can drink at 13 or something. And, well, and he's also a Ricky Morton's kid. I'm sure he's had a few beers. Sure. The next night when or next day during the show. Right. And I'm expecting the same Carrie Morton I've been watching on the NWA programming. He's he kind of flirts with the dark side a little bit to go back to the Star Wars analogies, but I never really felt that he was a full blown heel. But seeing him work that Mexico crowd, and of course, like they wanted him to be heel. You know, it's funny that the the fans reacted positively to two of the NWA wrestlers, Sal Renaro and Tyrus. Sal Renaro because he was beating up Kerry Morton. <laughs> like they they turned like it was. Uh, uh, Cartwheel, Jack Cartwheel, and Sauronaro were getting cheered in that match because Sauronaro was like taking advantage of uh, when when uh, Kerry was celebrating. You know, Sal came over, tried to pin him. The fans popped for it. And Tyrus, that one caught me off guard because you know, for whatever whatever reason, a lot of people don't tend to like Tyrus. But if you go and look at the chat. The, the comments from those videos that they posted on the AAA website and, or our YouTube channel. And I know they're coming to the NWA channel eventually, but those, that, that audience was so endeared by Tyrus and uh, like people might not know, but Daga got hurt during the match. He, he, I think he like tore his quad or something and it was a freak accident. It wasn't like during a move. It was, well, I mean, he was doing a move, but it wasn't like anything Tyrus did. And, you know, Tyrus sat there and, and, 
you know, the referee was checking on him and the tires kind of played up to the crowd a little bit. And when, uh, you know, they, they finished the match and he got the one, two, three count. And then he was like, you know, telling the fans to cheer for Daga and the crowd and Daga was a heel. So it wasn't easy for the, it wasn't hard for the fans to cheer for tires, but the comments were like, Oh, he was so respectful. I appreciate that. And he was waving our flag and I appreciate that. And it's like, wow, you know, you can't, <laughs> no one can ever tell me tires doesn't know how to work because that dude certainly worked that crowd that night. And uh, I guess the point I was trying to make is Carrie uh, is a heel in Mexico, and I love it. Carrie's a heel in Australia, and I love it. And uh, I, I can't wait till this, what's happening in Australia, I hope comes back to, to the United States. Plunky, and I think, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. I think you know what I'm talking about. The Southern Six, I think, has been... One of the yeah, do it again. Make it, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I think this has been done. This is probably copyright, copywritten. Do it one more time. No. This, yeah, I think I, this is copywritten. I I've been told that this is for Southern Six, but the two is silent. Yeah, right, and I try to explain that to people. They didn't understand what I was getting at, but I I really like. Plunky, I've been around for a while. You know this. You know I'm an NWA fan through and through. I've been here in the lean years. You know, I've been here in the, you know, feast or famine years. And this, to me, seems like the most organic, beautiful grouping of pro wrestlers who accidentally bonded and is becoming something. And if they don't bring it back to the United States, I'm going to be disappointed. But I, I feel like it's such a... It's an opportunity to do something different. It's an opportunity to, you, you know, most of these people are, I would consider, in-house names now, right? Like, you know, uh, Silas, he's been around for a long time, but I, I honestly did not know of him until he stepped into an NWA ring. Alex Taylor, phenomenal athlete, phenomenal talent. He used to be your tag team partner. And, and, and yeah, he's great. I, I, I expect him to be junior heavyweight champion at some point. Then you got Kerry Morton who, like I said, maybe one of the top heels in the company and nobody knows he's even a heel yet. And, and then you've got, uh, you, you know, uh, Miss Kenzie Page, your woman's television champion. Such a solid group of phenomenal athletes, all based in that, uh, that I would say, Mid-South area, that Tennessee area, right? And and I'm just, you know, the positive responses. I mean, they're sitting there taking pictures with the, with the president of the company, a rock star himself, Billy Corgan. The fans are I look, I have a little bit of video I could show like how the heat, how much heat these guys. Well, TV, the Aussie boys got the win. The main gangs are gonna let it slow that they're better than all of us on our feet side. Boom around the building. Look at that guy's game. How annoying is he? This one cracking the longer than that. And I mean, this is hanging out with Jim Cornette, (laughs) maybe, but I, I just, I look at this and I'm thinking, man, and this happened organically. I don't, I don't think the plan was like, Hey, we're going to take these guys to Australia and we'll see what happens. Uh, I I think it's like, Hey, we're going to go there. You guys are going to be presented as heels and, and just do your thing. And, And the chemistry is there. I mean, some of them got matching tattoos now and, 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 what do you think about this, Plunky? I mean, obviously, this is this is kind of a big deal. I think that's what happens when you put a whole bunch of Southerners in a long, long, long flight with very little sleep, and you stick them in a foreign country over two weeks. 
they're going to bond together and they're going to go a little crazy. And I think that's what the Southern Six is. Just just a little. Yeah, just just a smidge. They were already crazy beforehand, though. Yeah. Because they're in wrestling. Well, you know, one of the Southern Six, of course, is uh, Thrillbilly. And Insane. Yeah, we, <laughs> we had him on the show. Oh, I watched. Insane. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's in the right business. We'll we'll say that. That that's for sure. He is in the right business. Hundred uh, percent. One of the things we've talked about with him, and we talked about with Poyo, and so I'm interested in getting your opinion on it. Is that he? Well, two things actually. The first thing is every time that man gives a promo, I am transported back again to like you know '80s. Tennessee wrestling. I mean, just this thing about uh, Otison being a foreign national because he's from from Asgard and he better guard his ass. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just so so perfect. But he does it in such a way. He, like you said, you know it's natural. But he has all the subtleties down. He has all the small things down. Even when he and Poe work together, you, you see whether they're working the crowd or whatever, the facial expressions. How how important do you think that the subtleties are? You know, the small things that maybe you don't notice that they're not there, but man, you certainly pick up when they are. Oh, I think they're very important. Um, and, and you're right about about Thrill. He, uh, if if someone could somehow merge Doctor D, David Schultz, and Terry Gordy together, I feel like you get Thrill Billy Salas Mason because he's got the promo of Doctor D, a hundred percent, and he will say the outlandish things like Doctor D did. Um, but no, man, they're they're so. I mean, for God's sakes, you guys, when I first came on here were gushing about a float over and pushing down an arm and a leg and a pin. Whereas if it was just a a hook, you'd have been like, oh, you wouldn't have noticed it. But because a small thing was done, you notice it so much. Small things stick out. And that's what, that's what the old, the the old veterans that told us forever. And some listened, some didn't, but like, it does matter. And when I go back, because I'll, I don't watch a lot of modern wrestling. As a matter of fact, we were talking about, you know, your favorite era being what you watched. I mean, the Memphis I watched, yeah, that was my favorite stuff. But like, I, you know, I was watching in mid nineties, uh, you know, a little bit early nineties, but became a fan in mid nineties. And to me, a lot of the attitude era stuff doesn't hold up, but I go, I go back and watch a whole bunch of Jim Crockett promotions. Um, I watch a lot of, I love watching the Fuller's territories. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I, I love watching Fuller stuff. I love Southern wrestling. Southern wrestling. That's that's been my <laughs> thing. My mother is one of my favorite people in the world. So like, she is for jail. They, yeah, that's right. Because Thug can't spell. <laughs> um, it's on the back of their shirt, actually. Uh, but and they all did the little things. All those guys did all the little things back in the day, and that I feel like somewhere between then and now is when 
people stopped focusing on the little things and started focusing on the big things. Maybe it's when the moves got more intense and stuff like that. Because you watch an, an old card, it's hip toss, arm drag, body slam, not much else besides that, but they're still telling an amazing story. But now, you know, hey, we've, I've got to learn this move, this move, and this move. And that's all well and good, but the little things that they were doing with just hip toss, arm drag, body slam, and like a headlock takeover stand out so much more. You know, you don't see that fire up, and this is only a video podcast, right? It's not audio, mm -hmm. too. Okay, cool. So this won't be lost on anybody. But, like, you know, back in the 80s, you see that fire up where the baby face would be like this and be real over-exaggerated in this. You don't see that anymore. It's always two guys down, uh, up, clothesline, back elbow, shoot off, give you something. And that's it, every match. But it used to just be Tom, Tommy Rich. We're talking about Tommy. Tommy does something like maybe he gives the heel a surprise backdrop and he's just fired up. He's got blood and he's pulling on his hair and he's firing up, firing up. And he's going to clubs, clubs, clubs. And that's all it is. There's nothing fancy. He might shoot him off and give him one of those not very good Tommy Rich drop kicks. But like that was it. The comeback was I'm punching you. I'm punching you because I'm fired up. I've been getting my butt kicked for 10, 15 minutes. And I'm tired of it. And it, it was more emotion, whereas now it's kind of step by step. And, and I don't know if that's wrestling schools. If that, I don't, I don't know what that is, I, or I don't know if that's what the product is on TV. So that's what everyone emulates. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I find it interesting. A lot of people criticize WWE wrestling, including promoters and wrestlers and everything like that. And then you go to a show when everybody's putting out WWE wrestling. Right. Uh, you know, and people will go, well, AEW is more sports-based than WWE. And I'm like, I, I don't know what you guys are watching. <laughs> there might be more athleticism. And that's uh, still a question mark to me, but it's certainly not more sports-based. And I'm not saying WWE is, unless you get Walter in the ring. But, you know, I... And to me, this kind of goes back to the heel face thing. You know, Tommy Rich firing up drew the emotion out of the crowd. Yes, 100%. Because, the, you know, Ricky Morton, the baby face in peril, nobody could do the do the baby face in peril better than No, him. God, no. No, Ricky would reach out to the crowd and, and like help me he'd mouth help me to people and <laughs> the one night he told me he would tell me that and one night i was working and i did that and like a little kid reached back out to me and i was like it finally worked like it can <laughs> work and, and i'm i'm not saying it works all the time especially like i said back then they also either suspended disbelief or believed it you know what I mean? Either spin disbelief or, I mean, heck, even into the early 2000s when I got in, there were still a few people who thought it was 100% legitimate. Yep. You know, I, I, especially in Tennessee, I used to get the ring hit on me a bit, quite a bit. <laughs> Not so much anymore, but I've had three knives pulled on me. So it happens. <laughs> but I think now the fans are more educated. So to get them to that part, that point, it's going to take something different. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but I don't think anybody has tried regressing to that. 
That's, a, that's I, an excellent point. And, and I think that that may be the ticket, but I don't know. <laughs> if I had the answers, I'd be making way more money. Right? <laughs> exactly. Well, JP, uh, again, I appreciate you coming on here, man. Uh, I know it was short notice. You jumped on. You're hell yeah. of a sport for doing that. Um, please plug your website, plug your merchandise, do all that right now, and then uh, we'll let you go for the night. Okay. Uh, guys, I appreciate being here. I'll, I'll do it more. I've kind of got to head, head out. But um, my main merch website, I got Sword Frontiers, uh, excuse me, a Pro Wrestling Tees page. My main uh, merch website is storefrontier.com slash Plunky's Gimmick Table. Um, and if you go on there, I've got actually a Danny Deal shirt. Uh, that's that's awesome. I think everybody will like that. And uh, if you're if you're a Tennessee wrestling fan, which I don't know if there's anybody in the chat that is, uh, but I put out a tribute to the Nashville Fairgrounds shirt because that's where wrestling was for me. You know, yeah, I mean? when right. I grew up, and then they tore that building down. And God, I wish I could have been there when they tore it down because I'd have a piece of that in my in my office right now. I was I was lucky enough to be there for the 70th anniversary show. It was such an awesome thing. When we went back for Crockett Cup, I was like, man, this just isn't the same. Still a cool venue, not the same. Yeah, yeah, beautiful venue. Still in the same general vicinity as that building, but not the same. Well, again, I definitely appreciate your time. Um, the next time you get a chance to come on, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, you know. Joe Kazana Promotions. I know that you've been working with them a little bit lately, and uh, oh yeah, and hopefully we'll get more to the the, the bottom line of what's happening with the Southern Six because I, I I I got questions. I need answers. You know some of these guys. Who knows? Maybe the next time you come on, we can talk a little bit more about that. But uh, well, I mean, I'll be back state stateside, so maybe I'll have some answers for you. Yeah, well, if I start seeing you with a six tattooed somewhere on you, I know that uh, shit's about to go down. So. I'm just going to get a four and then underneath just put the two aside. <laughs> there it is. All right, brother. You be well. Have a good one. And thanks for your time. You too, buddy. Thank you for having me, man. Yeah. Appreciate you. Later, man. Have a good one. Jeremiah Plunkett, if you will, that man should be the next TV champion. Yeah, he's already logged off. He's not hearing this. Look, if, if Jake Howe's booking the NWA, which he's not, but if Jake Howe was booking the NWA, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have Mr. Tom Latimer go through the next five opponents to get to that lucky seven, or maybe it's six opponents, six opponents. Let's say six. I'm going to have him go through the six. I'm going to have him go and beat each and every single one of those guys. And then I'm going to have him challenge tires. And whether he wins or loses doesn't matter because he gives up the TV title. And once that happens, then we're going to have a, a battle royal to see who's going to win it. And it's going to be the guy that nobody's expecting. It's going to be Jeremiah Plunkett. And he's going to hold that title. And, and maybe he doesn't go all seven, but the guy deserves an opportunity to run with that belt. I think it would be a good fit for the NWA. It it, it definitely breaks the mold. And whoever beats him to win the title, uh, you, you know, that championship very much can be made on the backs of somebody who holds it. We saw how, how important that title felt when the Pope had it. We saw how the title's at least in terms of uh, valuableness, uh, I felt like it declined when uh, when Tyrus had it and wasn't defending it as frequently. And then, you know, Jordan Clearwater wins it, and, and then Tom wins it, and we've got some momentum, some positive momentum. Uh, you know, why not have somebody like, you know, uh, Jeremiah Plunkett and, and maybe Mims fight over that title? I think that could be a, a lot of fun, and it would help elevate Mims. It would help elevate the title. DK, what are your thoughts? 
Well, you know, we talked before about just even like Mims and Jordan Clearwater. There's there's nothing that says a person can't hold that title more than once, even though they've kind of, oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't think they've done that during the ring, you know, you know, giving anybody a second title reign, but it's, uh, that's a good place for some lower level feuds to keep fans interested in things. I, and I, I, I think having the title sit on somebody for so long, like that was the cool thing when they first crowned Ricky Starks as champion, right? Like he had that title uh, on television for like six weeks. In reality, he lost it in, in you know, two days. And then Zicky right. Dice had it for a little bit. And then, you know, the pandemic. But, like, I think maybe originally the plan was that uh, Ricky Starks was supposed to get that belt back at some point. Obviously, you know, that changed. And and I think, you know, I, I, I don't think we need to beleaguer a a champion who goes four runs or four, four title matches and then bows out or someone that wins seven matches and then cashes in. I want to see more frequency and changes. I, I, I don't think it needs to be one guy goes the best of seven that's supposed to be the anomaly right that's that's supposed to be the odd effect that means you had a guy who was ready to take to the next step the next level you could have a guy and this isn't meant to be disrespectful to anybody else but you could have matthew mims win that title and have two or three defenses and lose it and then get it back and try to go again and lose it and during that time you could be elevating all this talent on the card into a higher role you know and if if jeremiah plunkett takes that title and has two or three runs with it like successful runs and never quite gets to the seven that could be a story in itself that oh jeremiah plunkett man he's so close to cashing in that seven all he needs to do is beat this guy oh and he lost and it's another way to to build that title up again i don't know that's just my opinion yeah i mean i think i think the average title defense should be four you know some guys get three some guys get five sure I think you're looking at six as being the heartbreaking one for people. And then occasionally you get a guy that hits seven, and then the question is, or is ready for the seventh defense, and that's that's going to be your big marquee thing where that title's concerned. It's, you know, Tom Latimer may beat Rhett Titus, and he may beat whoever all he's beaten for the title. He's had two or three defenses, I don't remember. And then the question, you know, maybe in his seventh title defense, it's Chris Adonis. Yeah. You know, now it's like, ooh. Okay, uh, okay so let's let's fantasy book here. I know that's usually reserved for Wednesdays with uh, Dave Scooby and the other Alliance guys. But fantasy book it here. If you, if you put, let's say Matthew Mims. For the sake of, because it's it's maybe easier to do a baby face with it, right? Let's say you put Matthew Mins. He's the guy that wins that title. And maybe the first person he beats is somebody like a lower on the card guy. So let's say Daisy Kills. He hasn't really made an impact yet in the NWA. So he's a name that, you know, if Mims beats, it's not earth shattering. It's not groundbreaking. And maybe the next match that Matthew Mims has is against a guy like, I don't know, JP, Jeremiah Plunkett, enough value that he could have a great match with Mims. 
and Mim gets over again. And then you've got a third match, and this time it's going to be a little bit harder. You know, maybe this time it's Mims's former tag team partner or current tag team partner, Dak Draper. And now, wow, he beat Dak Draper to keep that title. Holy crap, that's great. Then Jordan Clearwater challenges again. And holy crap, he beat Jordan Clearwater. And that's that's five in a row. And all he has to do is win two more. And to your point, maybe the sixth guy is the Pope. Maybe the sixth guy is the Pope. And now, holy crap, Mims beat the Pope. No way he's going to lose in, in match number seven. And maybe, like you said, and then it's Adonis. It's number seven. Wow. I mean, I look, I don't normally get a high on my own supply, but I think that's a good story. I think that would be fun television. Right. It, as long as it's done once every 12 to 18 months. Right. Um, it, not, it, it, the thing is, the average person should hold the title about 10 weeks. Yeah. 10, you know, 10 to 12 weeks. And then, uh, you know, move on. And this is where you give those younger newer guys their chance to establish themselves but uh real quick i want to read willie bowen's um fantasy booking he sees tom latimer as your world champion jordan clearwater as your national heavyweight champion plunkett as your tv champion i like that one and magnum muscle as your world tag team champion that's that's a little bit different yeah i haven't gotten into magnum muscle yet but you know if they would keep him a team and do something with them. I could certainly see that. I feel like, and, and, and you know, we, we're, we're facetious a lot of the times and we say, Oh, well, sometimes Billy likes to make tag teams just to break them up. I feel like that's Magnum muscle. I feel like that was a team literally built up just to, you know, why do you build me up? Buttercup baby, just to bring me down. Wow. Are you singing? I think it's time for the show to end. Um, we haven't uh, even talked about power and, yet. And before power, so. And, uh, was that like the fastest hour and a half we've ever had on this show? Yeah, because Jeremiah Plunkett's awesome. I I, oh, great. I really enjoy that guy. Um, I've said it before. I, I very I very much think he is underutilized by the NWA. And, and he, you know, he's got such a positive attitude about it. Hey, if I got a spot, I got a spot. But I, I feel like he's such a versatile athlete and that's why i keep saying like the tv title the tv title because maybe the nwa has plans with ec3 as your national champion um but the tv title is something that uh could go back and forth right and it it doesn't need to be consistent and even if you give jeremiah plunkett uh, a four four match run with that title that elevates his character on the roster that makes him more valuable when when somebody comes in and beats him, that makes that match more meaningful. Oh, you just beat a former TV champion. You know? Mandy's here. What's up, Mandy? You missed Jeremiah Plunkett. If you if you if you didn't get to see the first part of the show, I highly recommend go back and watching it because uh, that dude is awesome. Uh, nothing but positive things to say about Jeremiah Plunkett. Um so let's talk about power. If you insist. Well, I do insist because it was actually a pretty good show, right? Yeah, actually it was. You know, I said it earlier. I This week, uh, USA, we we don't cover USA here, but it was a good show. I, I enjoyed it. It was short. It was brief. Oh, but that it was been part show. of the reason I enjoyed it. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, I mean, I, I don't think that 
I don't think there was anything on either show that made me just go, oh, man, that's bad. Why the hell would they do that? Uh, you know, sure, there are nitpicks. I'll, you know, I can nitpick any show to death. But, I mean, just both shows this week were actually relatively short. Uh, but they did what they were supposed to do. I mean, I don't. I don't think that, I, I don't think that, uh, hello, my mind just left. Jay, what was I thinking? You were thinking that uh, we will always nitpick what we don't like, but we're going to celebrate the positives. And this this episode of Power, certainly more positives than not. And uh, let's just get to it, right? The show starts off quick. The show starts off with a quality, this is a qualifying match for the uh, Crockett Cup tournament. And that's important because we just got introduced to two guys within the last few months. And that's, first of all, Daisy, Daisy Kills. And then we get uh, Talos. And, you know, there's still a, a bit of mystique with both of these guys. Of course, Trevor Murdoch and Mike Knox beat them at the 312 pay-per-view. Unsurprisingly, right? Because, well, Knox and... and uh, Knox and and Murdoch are, you know, you've got a former world two-time world heavyweight champion and, and somebody who's been to the big show with the WWE and Impact. So a lot of talent there, a lot of big, muscling, sweaty, meaty men. And and uh so I still feel like there's a there was there was a mystique with Daisy Kills and uh Talos because you know they they have potential, there's a lot of potential there, but then you put them in the ring against the savages. Uh, Chris Silvio Savages, which is, uh, you know, snap, uh, snap, tap, or nap, uh, bulletproof troop, who that dude has got a ton of upside. He's a former MMA fighter turned pro wrestler, uh, spent a lot of time training with Jordan Clearwater, believe it or not. Very good in the ring. Very, very good in the ring. Uh, for, for as little time as he has in the ring, very good in the ring. And then you pair him with who maybe the most underrated guy in the entire company, Jack Stane, who who's held and I say underrated and he's held every major title with the exception of the tag, uh, the, the new U S tag titles and uh, the TV title. Those are the only belts he hasn't carried in the company. And yeah. when you look at that, I mean, you've got two, two very big men in this ring. It, it was a pretty uh, interesting dynamic in that ring. Again, you know, we, we talk about, well, where, who's the heel, who's the face really doesn't matter, I guess, in the qualifying match for the Crockett cup, because at least they're wrestling for a, a particular reason. But, um, the match was very back and forth. Uh, I thought that they, they gave enough offense to Daisy kills to make him look credible. You had, uh, Talos at one point ready to choke slam both Dane and, and bulletproof troop at the same time, and of course Dane broke free, so bulletproof ate the choke slam, and then Dane just messed them up. I mean, it was a he came in and gave him the old, uh, you know, low blow, high blow, uh, yeah, high blow. I guess it, I I thought this okay. It wasn't a great match, but it wasn't bad. And considering the foreman in the ring, of course, more Jack Dane, the better for me. Uh, he wins with a pop the pop the trunk on uh, I was on Talos, right? Yep. And took the big man down with a lariat. Awesome. That how that's a way of you me 
that's to me that's saying that the NWA respects Jack Stain right there. You just had him take out the seven foot monster with a with that uh, lariat that he has you know made famous. Um, it was a good victory for for the Savages who you know look I don't know what the long term plans are with with Bulletproof Troop and Jack Stain as a tag team, but you know you got him in the Crockett Cup. I thought it was a good match, a good a good story that they told. What are your thoughts, DK? Yeah, I mean, I think he nailed it. I mean, this isn't going to win match of the year. No. It's not going to win match of the night as far as that's concerned. No. But it accomplished what it set out to accomplish. Uh, There was, again, if you watch the crowd, you didn't get a ton of reactions because it was kind of a heel versus heel dynamic. And, uh, but, you know, watching it, it was fine for what it was, especially an opening match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, placement matters. I know some people don't think that anymore, but placement matters. And it's an opening match to kind of get the crowd going or the people, more of the people on TV going. It was a fine thing of big men, you know, you know, uh, slobber knocking each other and you got to see Dane manhandle a little bit and you got to see him get it back. Now our buddy, Mike, not, not Phil, not Nick, not Max, but Mike brings up that personally, I would have had uh, protected Talos and have Daisy eat the pin. And I would, I would agree with you if it had been anybody else in that ring, but the fact that it was Jack Stane, who is your grand slam champion, the Dane event, the man that has held your world heavyweight title, your world tag team titles, a two-time national champion and a former North American champion. Uh, you know, that that's the guy that unified the North American and national titles. Don't forget he beat Tim storm to do that. Of course, Tim storm got him by, taking the world title off of him but that the fact still remains it was a good look for dane it built him up in a positive manner and i don't feel like that hurts talos if jack stain is the guy that pinned you he should pin you he's one of the best guys in the company yeah and i'm actually going to throw this out there sure honestly i'd rather protect daisy kill right now I think he has um, potential, depending on which way you want to go with him. Um, uh, his... Yeah, I mean, the, the problem with Giants is that they're not Andre. And, <laughs> True. You know, a lot of them are closer to almost, almost whatever his name is in WWE than they are to, to Andre or some of the other big wrestlers that we've had in the past. So, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you nailed it. There's no, there's no harm in losing to a former world champion, a big, huge man himself muscled and, you know, everything. So I, I think the way that they booked this match, everybody looked good in it. And I don't think you can say that about a lot of the matches. Bulletproof Troop looked good beating up Daisy Kill. He looked good uh, getting some office offense on Talos. He didn't look bad because the seven foot monster choke slammed him. He's seven foot monster. That's what seven foot monsters do. Uh, you know, Jack Stain 
ate some offense from Daisy Kill. Daisy Kill got a sweet-looking avalanche splash on Jack Stain. I thought that was a great, a great maneuver. He looked good doing it. It looked very clean and crisp. I felt like he was channeling his inner stinger right there. It was great. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think Kill has potential. Yeah, I do too. I think everyone in that ring had potential. And you, you're right, Talos doesn't have to be your next world champion, and he still has Mystique, even though he lost to Dane. It's not like he lost to Rolando. Nobody loses to Rolando, do they? Oh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, so, that yeah, really good match. Great effort by all four men. I thought that was a very good way to kick off the show. Next up, we get the women's television championship match. Um, and it was, I, I thought it was cute, man. They come out together, Ella Envy, Kenzie. And I think, you know, I'm a big Ella Envy fan. And no, um, we don't know <laughs> one of these days, my wife is going to come in when I say that, I'm like, who the hell is Ella Envy? And then I'm going to be in a whole bunch of trouble. Um, oh, I've already sent her pictures. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, you did. Uh, I hate the fact that she's holding a trophy. I, I mean, I get it. Oh, part of the prize of being champion is we're going to hand her the opportunity to design the belt. That's going to only be good if that belt comes out totally pretty empowered. You know what I mean? Because if that belt, it looks like a generic piece of crap. I'm going to be like, you guys lied, man, because she had nothing to do with designing that. Well, it's it got to be pink. pink. Yeah, it's got to be pink and black with, you know, hints. You know, it's got to have gold on it for sure. But there's going to be pink and black filament all over it and all the all that stuff. Anyways. Uh, I thought it was cool I'm that they tired. came out together, huh? I'm not tired. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I feel you, man. I'm I'm on my, I did a double dubby today, so I'm I'm gonna be okay until about seven o'clock my time, and then I'm gonna crash. Oh, that's in three minutes. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think it's cool that they kind of came out together, and you know that shows like, hey, they're still part of this group, and. Uh, <laughs> As I'm writing this, I'm like, okay, how can I be more chauvinistic when I'm writing about this? I'm like, yeah, I can't believe how good these broads hype each other up, you know, that chick empowerment stuff. Uh, no, it was cool. It was cool that they were, like, still pretty empowered, even though that they knew they were going to face each other. And they start off being silly in the ring, which, again, they're besties. Of course, they're going to be silly in the ring. But then, you know, LNVC's opportunity. She goes for the, the roll-up. Doesn't get it. Kenzie, you know, kind of pissed off that her friend did that. Then goes for her own roll up. And now you got a match. And, you know, the commentary brought up the point that, you know, Kenzie used to be more of a, uh, didn't become as violent until she started teaming with Ella Envy. And Ella really brought this out in her. And now it's kind of blowing up in her face. And it was, they were, they were pretty hard on each other. Like, I don't feel like this was an easy match. When they were fooling around in the beginning, I thought for sure Ella Envy was going to just lay down and, and take the pin. Uh, but they had a pretty good match, and it was a pretty hard-hitting match. And I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good match. Of course, uh, Kenzie Page gets the W uh, when she uh, hits that. Uh, she gets a kick on Ella that sets her up for the Kenzie Cutter. One, two, three, and now six more to go. What would you think of this one? I'm going to do my one nitpick first. Uh, I thought Kenzie Page should have uh, sold that boot to the face, which looked awesome more okay that's fair and uh other than that i think it was well laid out it was a well-produced match it made sense you didn't have to see them split up you weren't surprised they didn't split up at the end you know that they were still kind of best friends doesn't mean it won't lead something down the road but it's no. just you know 
but it's enough right now that if they stay together as pretty empowered, then, you know, you know, it fits. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, when Ella Envy did that one suplex into the bridge, or that was one hell of a bridge. Yeah. I mean, she was arched perfectly, and I was just, I was impressed by that. I, I think, you know, I joke around the, about being a huge Ella Envy fan, but one of the things that I feel like she does really well is it's the little things, right? The selling. Uh, you know, she screams like she's in agony when things are happening to her. Her facials are so good. Like she's, she really makes you believe that she's getting eaten up in that match. And I think I, I wrote a note here saying, um, uh, did I not put it in my notes? Uh, Ella does so many of the little things right when she's selling and it makes, it makes it for a good heel because, you know, if the heel's the one that's getting beaten up and you feel like they're really getting beaten up, I guess they're doing a pretty good job. Um, I, I just thought this was a really good match. I think both of these ladies are extremely talented. And, and as a, you know, we originally thought that this was a throwaway tag team that got lucky and took the belts off of uh, the hex. I, I really feel like the NWA are treating them as a legitimate, like talents. And I, I could see down the road, you know, it looks like Ella Envy and Roxy are going to be more of the tag team and Kenzie's going out on her own as a TV champion. But uh, I still think that there's a lot of potential for some fun stuff with uh, Pretty Empowered. Uh, yeah, so do I, uh, especially if you throw in uh, the sister whose name is escaping me. Kylie, I think it is. Kylie, okay, yes. Uh, I, 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 there are some good storylines that can't, that involve nothing with splitting them up. Right. I mean, I, I want to make that clear. There are some good storylines that I think they could use the four of them for over the course of the, you know, next year to 18 months. Yeah. At that point, it might run its course. You know, we'll have to reevaluate. But, yeah, I mean, they, they certainly have something. They they have the fundamentals of something. Let's, let's see how they use them. Uh, today's match was good. Uh, yeah. What else happened since we're already over 9 o'clock? Yeah, well, we'll go quickly. Um, we had May uh, in the back with Odinson. Uh, this promo, like, it was a better promo for him, but it was still kind of on the lame side. Uh, he Odinson plans to enter Valhalla as a champion. Um, and the thing that I kept thinking to myself is, you know, Valhalla is where you go when you die on the battlefield. Does Odinson know that? It's not like a cool bar. I mean, it is cool, but it's like that's where the heroes go after they've died in the field of battle. If you go to Valhalla after facing uh, Mr. Uh, Silas Mason, it's probably because you took a thrill ride. What did you think of the promo? Uh, you know, I'm over. To, I'm willing to overlook some of the silliness to it because it was a much improved promo by him. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I understand what Valhalla is, but heck, I watched an entire, I read an entire uh, Wonder Woman comic series on her being in the wrong, <laughs> being being amongst the wrong gods, and it's uh, I don't know how much people know or care. I mean, I agree with you that. If you know it doesn't make sense, but, you know, hey, I'm willing to overlook it. He's starting to get better. You know, more my work. Let's continue to improve. We'll move on. 
Yeah. Um, next up, we get another qualifying uh, match for the Crockett Cup. This one was the Fixers versus Murdoch and Knox. And I really feel like, I kind of feel like this match should have been reserved for maybe a, uh, you know, preliminary round, maybe even like a semifinal round match. Because again, I am the delusional guy that really thought the Fixers uh, made the most sense to win the Crockett Cup last year. Thankfully, I was wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do know that this match should have been billed as like the Heaves dream match. Heaves from Kayfabe Soup, who normally joins the chat on, on uh, the pre-party or, you know, he's the he's the guy that makes all the funny wrestling memes that we all laugh at. Um, and I don't think that anyone was disappointed with this matchup except for maybe the Fixers because they lost. What I liked most about this match is that although the Fixers lost, they didn't look weak to me. You know, Bradley got some shots in on Murdoch. Bradley got some shots in on Knox. Uh Wrecking Ball Ligursky got some offense in. It was, it wasn't just Knox and Murdoch steamrolled them. Now they got a lot more offense because they eventually would win. But I felt like the fixer still looked pretty good in, in defeat. And um, you know, I think that's important. Look, I, I'm not for 50-50 booking, right? I don't think that everyone needs to have even kill, but. You know, the Fixers are former uh, U.S. tag team champions. At some point, maybe you might want to put the tag titles on them, the world title belts on them. Um, I don't think they should be jobbing to every single tag team until then. But I, I felt like it was a fun match. Uh, you did see where Murdoch kind of got jammed up his hand, broke maybe broke his finger or or displaced it or something. Um, but uh, they Knox and Murdoch worked very well as a team. They even had a finishing move. Uh, actually they did a couple moves together. They did that, uh, atomic drop with the boot where, where, uh, uh, Murdoch kicked the crap out of, I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Ligursky and then, uh, like just dragged his foot on the back of Knox. And then the next one was the, uh, finishing move where they kind of did the, uh, uh a version of the total elimination where, uh, I think, I think it was Murdoch went for the chop block from behind and Knox went for the clothesline. And that's what put away Ligursky. I thought it was a good match. I thought I thought it was a fun match. Uh, what were your thoughts, DK? Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's not very often that you can have a match with four men, as commentators pointed out, where Dick Murdoch's going to be the smallest man in the ring. Trevor, uh, Dick, uh, Trevor Murdoch, excuse me. Uh, Blaine Plunkett for bringing up Dick Murdoch earlier. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, it was- a, a good, you know, hoss fight between four men. It was some, something that you could kind of see in the crowd. Again, if you watch the crowd, there were those who were still Fixer fans. Yeah. There were those who were still Murdoch and Knox fans, although not as many, oddly. And there was the majority of them who just kind of sat there and watched and politely applauded at the end. And so, you know, again, you need to start, you need to start getting the fans invested. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, what, you know, doesn't do any good for Tom Wildfire Rich to fire up if the fans are like, oh, are, are we supposed to be liking him? <laughs> yeah. What week is it? Is it an odd week or an even week? Yes. <laughs> Is he a face or a heel? <laughs> no, it's just, you know, pick something, go with it. And again, I think we see in Australia, I think 
I think we can say that most of what's happening in Australia has probably been a success from the U.S. point of view. Yeah. Um, I Speaking of that real quick, and, and I know we were talking about power, uh, and we'll talk – I want to mention Chris's comment here in a minute, but I have it on authority that at least at some of the tapings there are – Excuse me, some of the Australian tour, there are hard cams. People are taping. So hopefully that some of that footage will make its way stateside. Uh, Chris says, last year we had the Briscoes and people got excited. Is there a team that gets fans excited this year? Um, so far, we only know two teams that are in the in the bracket, so it's kind of hard to say. And I would say even last year, you, you didn't just have the Briscoes. You, I mean, we, were, we had booked... You had Hawk Ari, which is still a very popular NWA tag team. You also had uh, um, the Kingdom. You know, they were eliminated quickly, but you had the Kingdom that were set to be in the tournament. And then you had Nick Aldis teaming with uh, Doug Williams, right? That was the booking. That had people excited. You had a lot of exciting things going into that tournament. Well, and we even liked the replacement partner. Yeah. Harry Smith worked out re- really nicely in that group too, but we're only, uh, you know, the pay-per-views in June. Okay. We're still uh, have the entire month of May to build up to this pay-per-view. And we only know two teams that are in the tournament. And look, I'm saying right now, you can make the case that the fixers should have been in this tournament. Actually, I guess we know three teams. I'm sorry, because also uh, uh, Mims and uh, Dak Draper, Magnum muscle are also going to be in the, um, tournament they beat the other fixer team the 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 fixer and the other guy so yeah i I think it's a good thing i I, so far you've got three and we can probably assume the u.s and the world champions will be in it and and you know of course they haven't revealed all their cards yet but we don't know who else is going to be billed in this show i mean I'm not holding my breath right now. I'm not holding my breath for the Von Eric brothers, and I'm not holding my breath for FTR. If you're holding your breath for these guys, I think you're going to go without all of the FTR. They signed. Well, I mean, but they have options. They are. They were. They they went in there with negotiating power. And if look, I don't want to. It's not going to happen. Because here's here's the thing: you're not going to put over another company's. Tag team champions. Why not? They did it last year. No, they weren't anybody's tag team champions when they won. Okay, good point. And so, and, uh, so, and then they lost in a world title match. So even though they won the cup, when the champions, when they challenged the champions, they lost. Only place that the Briscoes ever went and didn't win the tag team titles. Interesting fact. Anyway, uh, so I, I guess we should go back to the show. Oh, nitpick. I do have a nitpick. Let's go. Uh, Bobby Fulton showing up at the end for what seemed to be no bloody reason whatsoever. I mean, yes, he doesn't like the fixers. But... <laughs> well, and, and again, going back to Saturday, um, May said that he was going to manage the team that took on the fixers. But he didn't show up before the match, just post-match. So, I don't know. Maybe something got lost in the translation. Um, maybe it's something we missed on TV. But uh, nevertheless, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm not a huge Bobby Fulton fan. And I don't like the way that he's being used. Um, we, we talked about this for years. I don't want to see Joe Galley versus Nick Aldis. I don't want to see, you know... Um, 
any of the announcers take on a role where they're a competitor. And I don't want to see any of the uh, uh, ambassadors of the brand step into the ring again. And Tommy Fulton, he's fired up. He's charismatic. He's energized. That's all good. But he's not going to get in the ring. He's not going to have a match. And if he is, I'm going to turn it off. I don't like I don't, I just have no desire to see that. And it's not a shot at him. It's just, you know, father time is undefeated, guys. And well, you know, for me, I think the fact that I was such a big Bobby Fulton fan, Fantastics fan, is what makes it hard because it's just like I don't know. It's almost like you're taking advantage of somebody, you know. I I would I would I say don't mind him, I don't mind him being there. I don't mind him cutting promos or talking about the NWA. I wouldn't even manage if he was there if he was there managing a tag team as an actually managing a tag team. But I don't get the fixers feud at all and I don't get how they used them and it's yeah. Mike, I kind of agree with you on that one. I think look, there are ways that you can use Bobby Fulton uh, in a positive way. And again, being an ambassador for the NWA, you know, uh, saying, Hey, welcome to the show or something like that. Coaching guys in the back. I think these are all positive moves, uh, on camera roles. I don't know if, if that needs to happen. If you want to make like an executor for the NWA, that's not Billy Corgan. Uh, again, I wouldn't hate Bobby Fulton doing that. He comes out there. Hey, you don't like this guy. Hey, you don't like this guy settle in the ring. And that's it. That's all I need from, but, um, so yeah. what came next what came next was uh maze in the back with camille and tom uh uh so we we just talked about our undying love for camille and i still think she's great uh the promo was fine when she was talking about natalia markova she says uh, that natalia markova is up to something she accuses markova of kissing up to the right people um, but then Camille does like one of the heinous things I've seen her do, and she completely neuters Tom. And I don't know if you felt like this, but maybe it's just me because I live with a strong woman, so I know what that feels like. But uh, he 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 doesn't even really get a chance to talk. And she says, "How many have you had, Tom? Like three, four? And it's clearly one. And he kind of hangs his head, and she goes, "Oh, he's not very good with numbers." And I'm like, "Oh man, oh man." And again, I don't think they're going to break that couple up on TV. And I think they're just having fun at each other's expense. Me and my wife do that all the time. But it just, it was hard to watch. And I'm I'm thinking, this guy should be world champion. I want him to be world champion. But not with his wife talking to him like that. Yeah, it's, it was what it was. It's actually not as bad as some of the things I've done in the past. So. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, uh I'll I'll give it a small a, a small pass on this one and say I at least enjoyed Camille's promo. Okay, fair enough. Uh next up, then we have uh more May in the back. And this one I kind of popped for this one because uh May was in the back with Aaron Stevens and you know, for the entire night, May's demeanor has been very positive, happy, you know, very, very much like the May we're used to. And then as soon as Stevens in the back, she's like you're not even here to see me, are you? <laughs> it was great. It, it, she's still the jilted lover, and I thought that was very funny. Um, Stevens is going back to his very, uh, you know, guy liner glam look. He's wearing a you know a silk coat 
I don't even think he was wearing a shirt. I think he had some sort of, you know, uh, uh, scarf around his neck. Um, and he was pissed, not because he had to be there with May, not because, you know, he's not married to May, but because, because blunt force trauma has to have a qualifying match to get into this tournament. And it sounds like eventually that match is going to be against, uh, the, the spectaculars. Um, then May kind of says, well, don't, aren't blunt force trauma going to face them? And, and he corrects her and says, no carnage will be facing, uh, rush Freeman, you know, uh, the butt of everyone's joke, apparently. Uh, so Rush versus Carnage is going to happen on Saturday. It's a good way to promote Saturday's show. I don't remember them doing something like this in a while. Uh, what did you think about this? Uh, I'm kind of over May and Aaron. <laughs> I, you know, one of the stalwarts of wrestling is that they can totally ignore things that have happened in the past. And I'm ready for that point here. Yeah. If they're going to... Uh, you know, if we're going to do the show together, let's get past the idea that anybody ever, ever remembers that they were once engaging on have a wedding because it's a horrible memory to begin with. It was a horrible uh, angle to begin with. And let's, let's, let's all forget. Can we, can we all forget that? Uh, as, as for uh, Aaron Stevens and blunt force trauma here's my problem i don't think they may not make it into the tournament because you know he always gets them disqualified for apparent no reason for no reason yeah all right just all of a sudden he takes out his glove and he hits people <laughs> yeah. I, it's, I mean they don't care because they just want to make people up they're not into winning championships okay then go away <laughs> Uh, if I can, let's get to the next segment, which is uh, the main event. We have Odinson versus Thrillbilly. And another match that I thought was really good. And again, the stipulation I thought was ridiculous. I, that was stupid to me. Like, that should have never been put on the line. But as Thrillbilly said last week, why wouldn't they put it on the line? Because, of course, they're going to win. I just still think that's like you're tempting fate. And it was something that I, I, if this was a legitimate sport, you'd never do that. You never, we're going to give away our chance to go to the World Series because we got beef with this guy. We got to make sure we beat him before we go to the World Series. No, that's not how it goes. Um, but it was a fun match. It was a lot of back and forth. I, I feel like this is the most we've seen Thrillbilly in peril in quite some time. And that's even after having matches with uh, Kratos, if you will, with Kratos. Um, it was a fun match. It went back and forth. We saw, we saw Thrillbilly connect with a beautiful dropkick. <laughs> and you forget how freaking talented this man is. Like we talk about how good he is on promos. We talk about his body has improved. Uh, we talked about how good of a wrestler he is. He tells you he's a catch wrestler, but then he throws a drop kick like a junior heavyweight. And you're like, what, what can't this man do? Um, he ends up uh, winning the match when a distracted, uh, uh, well, throw Billy got caught up in the ropes. And when, um, it looked like uh, uh, Odinson was going to um, get his spray. He went over to it, but May, or excuse me, um, uh, uh, Poyo beat him to it. Poyo actually sprayed him in the face as a repayment for the last time that they encountered each other. And then, uh, and then Thrillbilly picked him up for a standing throw ride without even sending him to the ropes, just had him pick him right up off the ground and finish that match one, two, three. Um, what'd you think of the match? 
Yeah, I enjoyed it. I liked it. It was a good main event. Uh, thought they both wrestled well. Uh, I'm going to nitpick anything here. We'll nitpick. Yes, still think he uses a few too many uh, European, European, European. Are actually what they're supposed to be European forearms is what they're supposed to be. But yes, they look like uppercuts. And a little too reliant on that. But overall, yeah, not a bad match. You know, our gal Poyo got her revenge. And so, and then they did something that seemed a little bit weird. They actually set something up. Well, they continued an angle, right? Like, because this big, uh, this big animosity between Kratos and Odinson, excuse me, not Odinson, uh, Kratos and Thrillbilly, we, we've seen these guys fight several times now. And uh, they had the rubber match that, you know, uh, uh, Thrillbilly won. And you kind of thought that would be the end of it. But Kratos, you know, yeah, he's not one to let things Kratos go. Kratos split his head open. Yeah. Um, so Kratos came out and uh, sought some revenge on the Thrillbilly. And that's, that's where they ended the show. And I thought that was, uh, like you said, it's a great way to build up to something. Now, I was assuming, we could still probably assume that it's going to be EC3 versus Thrillbilly at the um, at the uh, Crockett oh, Cup. But uh, at certainly planting some seeds for a long-term storyline with Kratos and uh, the Thrillbilly. Yeah. Okay, question. Let's hear it. Before we get off the air. Do you want to see Tyrus defend the title, or do you want to see him in the tournament? Well, I think he should defend the title because he's a world champion. Um, but I know that often, <laughs> huh? And he does it very often. Um, the last time his last title defense was in Mexico, and that was March fourth because I was there. It is now April twenty seventh, and it doesn't look like there'll be a title defense in May. Um, you know, unless they surprise us by doing one on on power. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like it's it. He should defend the title. We also know that the NWA doesn't really uh, adhere to those arbitrary rules from the past that the champion needs to defend every thirty days. So uh, putting him in the Crockett Cup, he wants to do it because the same reason why Nick Aldis wanted to do it. But he's also the world champion, and I think you have to acknowledge that and that has to take priority over what you know a competitor wants to do you know if he wants to chase down the history then forfeit the title and go chase down history yeah it's it's that right balance and unfortunately we saw in his tv title reign they didn't have the right balance no you know, he was champion for over a year and got seven defenses in. I I think we worked it out to one every two months. I think he's less frequent as world champion. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there comes there comes a point when if the title's never defended, then you start going, well. And because uh, how many title defenses? Two? Uh, I think he's had a total of three now because he he def he defended against Rolando, he defended yeah. against oh, okay it's actually four, he defended against Matt Cardona at Nuff said right uh, he defeated Rolando uh, at the TV tapings following he right. defeated Daga I'm counting that one 
he defeated Daga at the NWA versus AAA. And then had another defense at Highland Park in April. Okay, you know what? He, I'm sorry, I misspoke earlier. I misspoke. He did defend the title at 312 against Chris Adonis. So he yeah. has had four defenses, and that basically averages out to once a month because uh, he had one. Like, okay, so they didn't do anything in December, they didn't do anything in January. His first title defense was in February. Uh, then he had a secondary title defense in February. I know you don't want to count it, but he did. And then one in March, one in April. So uh, if there's one in May, then he he still adheres to that uh, 30-day rule. I have a hard time counting Rolando. You don't have to like it, but they called it a title match. They said it was for the belt, and he won. Fine. It's all Aaron Stevens' fault anyway. <laughs> Rolando blamed him. DK, how can folks follow you on the social medias? At DKM, FWTX. Uh, mainly, if I have anything to say about wrestling, it's on Twitter. And you can follow uh, what we're doing here at the Alliance blog. We're we're expanding, guys. Not only are we on Facebook and Instagram, you know, we're on we're we're in the metaverse. We're also on uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, twitch.tv uh, we just opened up a spoutable so uh, spoutful it's what? a new it's it's an alternative to twitter i'm just trying to get anybody i can i'm throwing out that net right uh we're also you're, you're on that alternative stuff are you yeah like alternative music pearl jam is my favorite then you've got uh we're also on the hive <laughs> it's a kid it's a family friendly show here um also, we have some merchandise like this shirt. If you're digging what we're doing over here at the Alliance, you could get a cool uh, Alliance Phoenix shirt. Uh, we also have hats like this one. Uh, we're going to be putting up a Lucha-themed wrestling mask shirt probably probably tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty dope shirt. I, I really like the design. Um, and we're going to have some more merchandise coming out very, very soon. So make sure you check out our merch. Uh, the link is in the video description. And, of course, if you're like me and need jitterless energy, make sure you check out Dubby. Dubby is a sponsor of the show. Every time you make a purchase with Dubby, you save 20% off. Oh, I thought maybe we saved, like, a polar bear or something. Uh no, but we could uh, we could start crowdsourcing that if you'd like to. Um, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, we'll be back on. I'll be back Tuesday for the pre-party. You got the other Lions guys on Wednesday, and of course, me and this handsome fellow right here will be back on Thursday to talk more NWA with you. That hashtag NWA fam. So until next time, guys, we'll see you. Oh, and, and Mandy too. She's a girl, Mandy. Uh, we'll see you at the matches. Thanks for joining the stream. This has been a presentation of Alliance-Wrestling.com. We genuinely appreciate your support. Would you consider subscribing so you'll never miss a future episode? I'd also like to remind you we do a live stream every Tuesday at 5 p.m. for NWA Power. You can find us on social media at The Alliance Blog. And until next time, we are The Alliance.